BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Dan Lanning, coach at Oregon, youngest coach in Power Five conference football. Did a news conference yesterday. I wrote about it today. I want to talk about it now. And I want you to hear some of Dan Lanning in his news conference yesterday. Maybe you didn't get to go. Maybe you didn't get to be there. But Dan Lanning talked about the lessons he's learned. He talked about the mistakes he's made. He talked about the timeout he wished he took. He talked about, uh, you know, eight or ten different mistakes. He said ten. I'm struggling to find ten. But I said it yesterday, I'm going to say it again. I don't need these guys to be perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Why do we expect our college football coaches to be perfect? I just need them to be pretty darn good. And when they're not good, when it's their mistake, when it's their fault, when they blow it, when they drop the ball, when they go for it on fourth and one and don't get it, when they say, I'm not kicking the field goal, and they don't kick it, I need him to kind of understand that the rest of us are looking at him like my dog looks at me when I am uh, instructing it to do things that it doesn't understand. Kind of gives me that, huh, look. Like Dan Lanning, we had some of those, huh, looks on Saturday as they lost to Washington at home. The college football playoff rankings are going to come out today in about an hour. We will uh, dissect those right here on this show. We've got good guests on today's show. We've got, uh, obviously, Jack Coletto, Oregon State linebacker, is going to be joining us. You're going to hear a lot about Dan Landing on today's show. Uh, also, Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, will be with us tomorrow. Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach. I'm efforting Landing himself for later in the week. Uh, we'll get all the guests here on the show. We'll talk about it. We'll tell you what it means. Uh, I'll hear from you as well. Your phone calls are always welcome at 503 503- 417-7575. Um, the, the bottom line being uh, that uh, you are a college football fan. I am a sports journalist. I am trying to figure out when gamesmanship by coaches became such a big thing. You know, you got Dan Lanning, who uh, gives his news conference yesterday, and essentially says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to share injury updates. Yeah, I'm not going to share really any update um, with anybody. I, we came away dinged in that game. You know, I, I, I will say that I feel a lot more positive today getting to hear some news um, on where things are at right now. Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, uh, you know, basically saying, hey, there were no season-ending injuries, but he has a variety of players that uh, potentially could be out. For Saturday's game, I know at least one Oregon State player was hospitalized after the Cal game, uh, may remain hospitalized. I don't know. I'm trying to confirm that. I'm trying to get it on the record, but that's all I can tell you at this point is that I know there'll be at least one new starter, I think, in the lineup for Oregon State this week. And if you are um, uh, a Utah fan, Kyle Whittingham's doing the same damn thing. He's playing it close to the vest. He's not really telling who's going to be available, who's not going to be available. I don't know when gamesmanship by college coaches became such a big deal, uh, but I uh, but I do know this. I know that uh, if you are a college football fan, we all kind of expect it. Like nobody flinched when Dan Lanning said, eh, "I'm not going to share injury updates." 
Nobody's going to flinch in Utah when Kyle Whittingham on tomorrow's show goes, hey, you know what, I'm not going to tell you who's starting, who's not starting. The gamesmanship thing that is going on with college coaches is not new. They're paranoid. There are few things that are within their control. Think about this. I was thinking about this today. Why, why did it become so important to me that Dan Lanning said all the right things and did all the right things in the wake of Saturday's game? Why did that become important to me? Because it's true. I, I even wrote it today. Like, hey, I really liked, uh, I really liked the uh, the uh, you know message that he gave after the game. He said, you know, I love my team. We're in the locker room. We take the high moments with the low moments. Like, you know, this is on me 100%. Like he said a lot of things in the wake of the game. Here he is literally in the wake of the game that I liked. Well, certainly not the uh, the result we had hoped for. You know, I think our guys played the entire game. They certainly didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel. I think you have to give Washington credit. They played a complete game, and we made more mistakes uh, at the end of the game that hurt us. This game 100% falls on me, right? Um, our players gave phenomenal effort. They tried really hard. We uh, shot ourselves in the foot a few times in the first half, but we're able to move the ball you know, much better in the second half. You know, that being said, we weren't able to get a stop defensively. So things that we, um, you know, have to attack moving forward. Dan Lanning talking about, uh, you know, his reaction after the game and where he will be moving forward. I want to play a couple of his clips, but I, before I do that, I want to talk about gamesmanship. When did this become such a big deal? Stephen, when did the gamesmanship with college coaches become a thing? Guys, I want to kick this around. What do you make of it? Why is this a bigger deal now than maybe it has been in the past? I think it's just because of the gambling perspective. I think gambling is a lot more uh, relevant in not only in the college game and the pro game. And so in the pros, there are those rules where you know before gambling was so prevalent and uh, we talked about it like openly. You look at like sports broadcasts; they're bringing it up. You know, before after games, they're doing segments, they're doing shows about it. Everyone wants all the information. Before that, it wasn't as relevant. So, you know, the rules in college football say you don't have to share. And so I think that's the that's the main reason why is it's so open in the in the NFL and the gambling wise now in the college game is just not that way. I also think that their gambling plays a role in it. The twenty four hour news cycle plays a role in it. The lack of regulation in college athletics plays a role in it. College coaches are not required to give an injury report. They're not fined like they are in the NFL. They're not, uh, you know, they're not held accountable in the same way. So uh, you tell me, like, you know, as a listener, as a college football fan, does it does it drive you crazy? I don't think it does. I think pe- most people sort of understand that the coaches are going to share uh, who is, uh, you know, uh, who is healthy and who is not at their own leisure and maybe at their own peril because if you are – if you were like Kyle Whittingham, like we just did this a couple weeks ago, the FS1 broadcast was coming on, nobody knew like Cam Rising wasn't starting, all of a sudden there was no Cam Rising. Like I don't blame Kyle Whittingham for not sharing that with the FS1 broadcasters necessarily. I think somebody at Utah should, put it, should have tipped him off. But I also get like, hey, there's no advantage for the coach to go to the broadcaster and say, hey, uh, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to run on the first play. Here's what we're going to do if we get heads or tails. There's no advantage at all for Dan Lanning to come on uh, this show or some other show and go, look, we're thinking about onside kicking. Like, there's no proprietary advantage there. Uh, Peter Sampson, why has gamesmanship in the college game become a bigger thing? We don't get this in the NFL because of the injury reports. We don't get this in the NBA because of injury reports. Why 
Is this such a big deal in college athletics? Well, I think it, I think you hit it on the head where it's because it's not required. But I think ultimately, look, everyone in the history of sports is looking to get an edge. And I think the further we progress in the overarching timeline of any given sport, that edge gets finer and finer. You go back a few decades in some sports like weightlifting was controversial. And then in the 80s, oh, Gatorade, electrolyte drinks. Getting an edge is so difficult now where it's to the point if you're not required to do it and you can skirt that line a little bit, you're going to do it even if the edge is so tiny because you're desperate to get anything at this point. Yeah, and I think, too, just the lack of regulation becomes a thing. And coaches are paranoid, you know, and uh, um, I, I think they are, uh, you know, they're, they're control freaks. They are they are process-oriented. You'll hear them all the time. They say, uh, they say hey, uh, you know, I focus on the process. I get why they focus on the process because – the things they can't control, the weather, the spherical shape of the football, the fact that they're relying on 19, 20, and 21-year-old people to be consistent, they can't control those things. So what college coaches try to do, as I think more and more, they are looking for any angle that they can control. What can they control? Well, we can control the play we're running. We can control the clock. We can control our preparation. And they always talk about process, process, process. And I've even heard coaches say they sort of let go of the outcome prior to the games because, hey, you know, weird stuff happens. You feel great if the ball bounces this way. You feel terrible if it bounces that way. And in the end, uh, you know, I think that they are very much, uh, you know, seeking some element that they can control. Now, I've had coaches say, I'm not going to play that game. I'm just going to be honest. If you ask me if somebody is healthy, I'm going to tell you. But I, I think this is contagious. And I also think the more that like a coach like Kyle Whittingham or Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly's notorious for this, the more that those guys play the game, the less likely it is that Lincoln Riley and Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning are going to want to play the game. They're they're all going. Hey, there's no there's no there's no good that comes out of me being authentic and transparent with who's available to play in the game. Uh, in the end, I think it's really a fascinating study. Uh, all right, coming up, you're going to hear some of Dan Lanning's performance in the last 48 hours. I think he has been on fire. He wasn't good on Saturday night at Autzen Stadium. He got out coached by Kalen DeBoer. Washington beat Oregon, but I think Dan Lanning. After Saturday night's game, and all day yesterday, said a lot of good things, a lot of the right things that make me want to believe he can fix this. Make me want to believe that Oregon won't be derailed by the loss to Washington, that they will get right back on track and get themselves in position to play in a Rose Bowl. It's essentially an elimination game on Saturday night at Autzen Stadium. Oregon's got to beat Utah. They've got the home field. Can they do it? Will they do it? You're going to hear Dan Landing in his own words coming up next. I want you to leave it right here. You got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Pac-12 got mad at me today because I put out a spreadsheet on the uh, bowl games. Did you guys see this? I tweeted this out. You see this uh, little graphic that I tweeted out? I don't I don't know if they got mad at me. They were uncomfortable that I had this graphic and that I that I put it out there. It's their internal document that they use to uh, sort of figure out who's going to play in which bowl games. Uh, if you're interested to know 
the uh, order of operations, so to speak, for the Pac-12 bowl games. Uh, essentially, um, there's the Rose Bowl that is, uh, you know, sometimes a playoff game, sometimes not. Uh, there's the Alamo Bowl after that, the Holiday Bowl, the Vegas Bowl, the Sun Bowl, the L.A. Bowl. Then there's the ESPN Bowls in uh, 2021, 2022, and 2025. And then uh, there's the Independence Bowl that uh, that happens in the end. Um, but uh, essentially, it goes in pretty much goes in order of finish in the conference standings, except for the Holiday Bowl and Vegas Bowl. They can switch the second place team or the third place team, both eligible to play on the Holiday Bowl or the Vegas Bowl. So the Holiday Bowl and the Vegas Bowl kind of work together on that, uh, and a lot of it is tied to tourism. Like if UCLA should end up as maybe the number two or number three team, which is feasible in the Pac-12, and let's just say hypothetically Washington is in there or Utah, the Holiday Bowl and Vegas Bowl can get together and go, hey, which of these teams have you had more recently? Which fan base travels more? Would the Holiday Bowl really want to have UCLA there or would Vegas Bowl be better? because more UCLA fans, are they going to go to Vegas? Are they going to stay overnight and at the Holiday Bowl? Probably not. So, they, you know, the Utah fan base will, will travel. So a lot of that goes into this stuff. But uh, if you want to check that out, I have uh, posted it at johnconzano.com. You can check that out. Dan Lanning, University of Oregon football coach. He, uh, I think he was bad on Saturday. I think, I think it was his worst performance as a coach in a game, game coaching. And I expected some of this. He's, you know, he's the youngest Power Five head coach. I expected some growing pains. Um, he came into Monday's news conference. He does a news conference Monday evening, and I thought he uh, he was really good, and I thought he was surprisingly good. He came in, and he basically told reporters that he screwed up some things. He wants to do better. He's eager to get out there. Um, I had a couple of people who heard his news conference who are kind of the grammar police crowd out there. Uh, look, I'm an English literature major. I don't have perfect grammar. I don't speak with perfect grammar. Sometimes I don't write with perfect grammar. Sometimes I write very conversationally. But Dan Lanning getting hit by the grammar police, people going, oh, he has no, uh, no agreement between noun and verb. And I'm like, man, listen to what he's saying. Listen to how he's, you know, not how he's talking. Listen to what he's saying to us. Dan Lanning, owning it, owning some mistakes here. Yeah, we just talked right right when it happened. Bo said, Coach, I feel good. I said, let me confirm. Ryan, I said, We're go you'll go in the next play. And, uh, you know, why not call a timeout? Really, in retrospect, I, I wish I would have called a timeout based on the look we got. Not, not so much just to get Bo in. But it's really easy to go back and replay the game in your head. There's probably 10 plays that I would have played a lot different, right? And uh, it's not so much about necessarily putting Bo in that situation. They had a really advantageous look for what we gave and uh, wish wish I could have uh, called a timeout more so than anything for that look. Agreed. But you know what's weird? I, I, I will have beefs like this, and I call it nitpicking. You can nitpick coaches all day long. I got to be honest with you. I think it's kind of silly. I kind of have a silly job. Let's be real about it. I come on radio. I talk for three hours. We nitpick what coaches do. We talk about what's going to happen. Then we all watch the games. We react to it. I tell you what I think. You tell me what you think. This is my job. This is my existence. And I got to be honest with you. Like when I'm writing 
on deadline off a college football game from a stadium, I sometimes make a mistake in my writing. Like, sometimes I misspell a word, or sometimes I leave a word out. And hopefully one of the editors catches it, and we fix it, or we correct it pretty quickly. But college football coaches make mistakes, too. And Dan Lanning, what's different here, and what I feel like is really refreshing, is Dan Lanning's owning this. He's saying, I wish I would have called a timeout in hindsight. It's not really about Bo Nix, although it kind of was about Bo Nix, because if Bo Nix is on the field, it's a little different look that you're going to get from the Washington defense. But he talked about, hey, should have used a timeout there. Of course he should have. It was a critical position. But I think it was one of those moments where a young college coach who's relatively inexperienced as far as game management, he made a mistake. I'll tell you what, what, we, uh, what we didn't see over the years. Chip Kelly in 2009 and 2010 had some discipline problems. He was uh, a little bit out on in left field when it came to sort of managing the discipline of his own team. And I'd called him on it. I remember we argued about it, and I said, I said, you're wrong on this, Chip. Like, you know, it, basically Chip Kelly didn't want to suspend players in the offseason. It came down to that. His philosophy was, what's the point of suspending a kid? We don't have a game. I get it. There's logic in that. Like, you can tell me, hey, there's no game. There's no real penalty. I can't really keep the kid away from playing. There's no, this isn't a penalty, suspending a player. But when I argued at the time was you have to have a code. You have to have a system. If a kid is arrested, if a kid has, you know, he misses class, if he misses the bus, you have to say, hey, you're suspended, and then react from there. Like, start with the suspension. When a suspension in the offseason can mean, hey, you're not allowed to do X, Y, Z, or you have to do conditioning. I don't know. You make it up. Coaches do it all the time. Chip Kelly, as a young head coach, he argued against it. I'll never forget it. He came on this show, and we argued, and he says, you're going to apologize to me when it's done. This is not, you know, you're wrong. And I said, no, you're wrong. And we had a bad argument, and a year later, Chip Kelly, what did he do? Changed his whole philosophy, started suspending kids. Today, if a UCLA player gets in trouble, kid's going to be suspended pending the outcome of the investigation. Chip Kelly stubbornly would not admit that he was wrong. Mario Cristobal. How many times did Mario Cristobal mismanage the clock at the end of a game in year one and year two? To the point where we were like, he's got to hire somebody just to manage the clock. Like, And when he got Joe Moorhead in there as his offensive coordinator, finally, it was evident you had a guy who had been a head coach before who was now the play caller. It was evident how much better Mario Cristobal got with clock management. And it was simply Cristobal's stubborn refusal to acknowledge, hey, he's got a little bit of a hole in his game here. We all have that. Like, look, some of us are hyper-organized people that struggle with, hey, you know, I'm hyper-organized, but I'm not creative. Then you get the creative types who say, you know, I'm really creative. I can do this stuff on the fly, but I don't like the uh, X's and O's. I don't, like the, I don't like the structure of things. Like, if you, as a coach, can acknowledge that you have weaknesses and get real with it and address those weaknesses by filling in your staff with people who can help you with those deficiencies, man, you will sail. It is what kept Ernie Kent from being great at Oregon. He was just good. Ernie Kent was a terrific recruiter. He failed with the X's and O's often during games. 
and especially on the defensive side of the floor. He had Fred Litzenberger as his assistant, but as soon as Litzenberger started getting credit for being sort of the, the X and O defensive specialist brainchild of it, Ernie wasn't having it. Got rid of Litz, and what happened? Oregon couldn't play defense. It was a weakness in his game. Now, Mario Cristobal's got a weakness in his game, too. He's a control freak. He doesn't want to admit, you know, I need somebody to help me manage the clock. He does, though. He needs somebody, uh, an offensive play caller that he can hand over the actual play calling to and say, hey, you know, I'm going to recruit the players. I'm going to coach the offensive line. You call the plays. We're going to be great. But he's not willing to do that. What I liked about Dan Lanning in that last clip is he's acknowledging his shortcomings. And a guy who is willing to acknowledge his shortcomings, a person who's willing to say, hey, I have a deficiency here, I wasn't very good, let me work on it, is somebody who's going to get better. He was asked yesterday about what lessons did he learn on Saturday in losing to Washington. Listen carefully to this one. Oh, man, there's so many. You know, there's so many things that uh, I wish I could go back and do different. You know, there's some moments where I felt like I got a little selfish um, and looking for something that, you know, I felt like was there and, and really at the opportunity time, it, it wasn't, you know, and medicine doesn't always taste good, right? And that's one thing we talked to our players about the day. You know, there was a lot of coaches drinking medicine yesterday, right, and Sunday in that office. And you know what? It doesn't always taste good, but you better be able to accept it and attack it. And there's a lot of things that me personally as a coach, my, myself, that I can go do better. There's a lot of things that our coaching staff can do better and a lot of things that our players can do better. And I think when you're in an environment where it's about growth, you know, we've actually experienced something similar before where it didn't go the way we wanted it to go. And our guys attacked it really well. And our coaches attacked it really well. And the only thing I know to do when something doesn't go right is go to work. And that's kind of always worked for me. Right, so Saturday night when the game was over, as much as I felt like going to the back room and not spending any time with anybody, you know what I did? I went and recruited, right? And then Sunday morning, I got my ass up really early and got every ounce of film graded and then did what? Some more recruiting, right? And then did some evaluations of our performance and did a quality control report on what we can do better and how we can be better. And then that night, guess what we were doing more of? Recruiting, right? And finding opportunities to make our program better, touching base with our players, um, looking for ways for us to, to grow. So... Again, the result was not what we wanted. You have to give them credit for doing a good job, and you have to look. It's called hard facts, man. It's the hard truths. you got to look at the things that you could have done better as a coach to prepare our team and perform better in that environment. So a lot of opportunities for growth, and I'm certainly going to attack it. Dan Lanning uh, speaking yesterday. Loved every word of that, every syllable of it. I think it was great. I think it speaks uh, to a guy who's going to correct his mistakes. I think it's to it speaks to a guy who is bothered by the fact that he wasn't very good and he got out coached. I think it's really relatable. I I think the rest of us could probably relate to that better than we can to the defensive, deflective. It wasn't me. I need better players. It you know we we got to put a cleat in the ground. We're not very tough. It's much more relatable to talk about getting out as a person and taking your medicine. Coming up, Jack Coletto, Oregon State linebacker. How's his hamstring? What is going on with Oregon State as they are chasing win number eight of the season? They're going on the road. Jack Coletto next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. crowd helped again. I know our guys love playing at home, but the crowd helps a ton. Every night, every uh, day we play at home, 
these guys, our fans make a huge, huge difference. And obviously we get one more opportunity in a couple of weeks for that. We'll talk about Oregon and Oregon State. They'll meet in a couple of weeks. As Jonathan Smith pointed out there, I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Tell me what you think happens in that rivalry game. Jack Coletto's been joining us this season. JackHammerColetto.com if you want some of his apparel. Oregon State linebacker threw a hell of a spiral last Saturday. It was the most beautiful thing. I, it, I'd almost brought rain, Jack Coletto. That was a tight spiral, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. How'd that feel? How'd that feel as a linebacker, former quarterback, you know, back there throwing a pass again? Pretty nostalgic, if you ask me. It's like poetry in motion. Beautiful. All right, you ended up up down uh, with what looked like a hamstring injury. How are you feeling? I got to ask you. Well, it wasn't a hamstring, but I'm feeling feeling good. What, What happened? What was the injury? Do you want to talk about it? Um, it was basically just like a hip-related injury, okay. but it, it's my, so. Nothing that a linebacker, you know, it, tell me this, like, we think of linebackers as tougher than other positions. Do you find that mindset to be true? Or who's the toughest position group on the team in general? Um, I mean, usually guys, you've taken a lot of trauma, like, oh, line, you got to be tough. Yep. That's definitely play linebackers another one and i'd also throw on running back and tight end in there as well taking some abuse those guys but i always see linebackers like you know they dislocate a finger they just pop it back in they go back out you know for another series you know as a quarterback you take a shot like that in the hip and you you might you might be out for a while but as a linebacker everybody kind of expects you just to get back in there yeah it is kind of funny now you say that but yeah i mean that's Kind of the expectation. Tell me how you guys are feeling going to Arizona State. What do you see on film? Arizona State's a, another team that can beat us if we're not prepared and don't take these practices seriously, game seriously. And I, from 2018, because that was the last time we went down there and I was down there, it's, it's a tough place, place to play. What makes, desert, so. Yeah, give me an idea, because as a, as a media member, there's some stadiums I really like to go into, but I'm not playing a game on the field. Do you have a stadium or two in this conference that you just sort of look around when you get in there and you, and you go, this is special, like, you know, this is, this is a fun place to play a game, regardless of they're good, you're good, it's just fun to be on the field? From what I remember, Utah was a good one, just because I, whenever I go into the you kind of look for the energy. If the energy's yeah. there, that's there. Okay, be cool. Utah was good. Washington was another good one with uh, a lot of a lot of energy and juice in that stadium. So it, it was very cold at Research Stadium on Saturday night. But you're playing in the game. Did it feel cold on the field? And I noticed on both sides, and even in some of the other night games in the Pac-12, we were seeing some hamstrings. We were seeing some injuries. It, is it that time of year, or do you think it's the cold weather changing? What's going on with the conference and suddenly a rash of injuries? I mean, any 12-week season and playing that many amount of games, and honestly probably starting since August and just all that prolonged work, I mean, stuff's bound to, bound to happen eventually. And I guess it was just a coincidence that it happened this last week. It could have happened the week before. 
But, yeah, it's just that kind of time of year. Everything hurts for everybody, and you just have to kind of push through. But on the field, I mean, once you warm up, especially in dry cold like that, once you warm yeah. up, you don't really feel Yeah, I needed to warm up. Uh, let, let me ask you this, too. Uh, if we are improving college football, here's my theory on that. I think we should start the season sooner by like a week or two and give everybody an extra bye. Are you the are you a fan of like a late season bye week like in week 7 or 8 get a second bye or do you just like to play every week and get in rhythm? I think two bye weeks would be really nice just in terms of recovery and stuff like that. I mean one bye week manageable if it's at a decent time. I mean the past few years I've been here the bye weeks always been at a decent time it's never really been an issue but say if you were to get a bye week week three and then you're playing seven eight games straight in a row that can take a toll on your body yeah so, I mean, I, I'd be, I'd be for a two bye game yeah and i think two too because sometimes you you know a bye will come early for some teams and then i always wonder like how that feels to them to get a, like a bye week in week four versus maybe week seven where where they it could do them some more good or help get some guys back from injuries. Uh, we're talking to Jack Coletto, Oregon State uh, linebacker, who is with us. All right, you've been there for a while. You've seen Jonathan Smith operate, you know, build this program. What do you make of this? Because from the outside, it's pretty remarkable to see, you know, a team that was a two-win team. Coach bailed on that team before, you know, Jonathan got there. Now suddenly, this is a team that could win nine. Regular season games could be a 10-win team if you win a bowl game and win out. Like, it's a very different feel. Like, what has it been like to be on the inside of that? Well, it's just been nice to be a part of that entire process, just from the transformation and when we, when I first stepped in here, which was uh, Coach Smith's first year, to what it is now. It's just the standards and expectations the players have of each other and the coaches have of the players is a lot higher. And it's really just been able to progress throughout the years as we've been able to bring in talent and develop the talent we already have. JackHammerColetto.com if you want to check out the Jack Coletto merchandise. Uh, Again, he's helping the Wounded Warrior Project all season long by giving 25% of the proceeds to the Wounded Warriors. Um, all right, look, you've got Arizona State, you got a rivalry game with Oregon, you have a bowl game. What is Jack Coletto? What's on your bucket list this season as you sort of look at that final uh, three games? In terms of goals or Personal goals, yeah. Personal goals, expectations. You know, are you soaking it in at this point? Like, you know, give us a – what's your mindset? I mean, for me, I'm one day at a time. I, all I know is it's Tuesday, almost 4 o'clock, and <laughs> we got ahead of us. I love it. All right. All right. So, wait. Defensively, you're looking at Arizona State. They've been a little bit all over. They've had some games where it looks like any given day, you know, they can obviously beat anybody. Anybody can do that in this conference. But what's going on with them lately in your mind when you see film of them? Um, I think it's just they definitely have talent on their side, of that, that side of the ball, and really both sides of the ball, especially special teams. And, I mean, there's there's talent there, and they're in some games. It just hasn't really gone their way throughout the year. Man. So, whether it's like they pulled together the last two games, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. But 
that's ultimately what I've seen. It's just there's a lot of potential and talented guys on that set on the Arizona State roster, and they could do some good things. Stanford got 27 on you guys. Washington got 24. Uh, Washington State got 10. Colorado got 9. Cal only got 3 on offense. Defensively, you guys uh, are playing lights out. Do you think you're the best defense in the conference? I mean, if we weren't number one, I'd say we have to definitely be up there, at least in the conversation. And there's some there's some good defensive teams out there in the league. I mean, Utah's one of the – they've been known to have a good defense be sound. And there's other good defenses around the league, but I think we definitely have to be up there. How does it? How does that happen? Because it was just, you know, I get you get some turnover of players – but Coach Bray, since he took over the defense, it just feels like there's just been a shift of mindset. Is it? Is it that? Is that an oversimplification? Is there something else going on that the rest of us don't see? No, I'd say that's that's accurate with what went on. I mean, he implemented a system that was simple and effective and made sense, and puts the offense in conflict. I like that. I like how you think about that. Puts the offense in conflict. I've heard pitchers talk about the disruption of timing with a hitter. Is it similar with a defense? You're just trying to disrupt what they're doing because there's a lot of timing on offense? Oh, definitely. And it's like the more you have to make the quarterback read after the snap and be able to disguise stuff, the better you're going to be as a defense because it's just going to force the quarterback to make mistakes. I love it. it Bray is always – He's pacing around during games. You notice this on the sideline? When you're on the field, do you see him pacing back and forth and back and forth, or are you just getting a signal and you're focused on what's in charge of you? How could you not notice him pacing back and forth on the sideline? He's getting his steps in. Absolutely. He does that at practice, too. He goes pacing around. Good exercise. Do you think he does that? Is it because the player, like as a linebacker himself – you know, he can't make a play, right? So he's he's basically putting you in position to make those plays, and he's got to be doing something physical, like he has to be moving in order. It's almost like a shark that doesn't want to stop swimming. I, I keep telling him, it's like, either stand still or jog a little bit, but he just does walking better on the knees, I guess. I guess so. All right, Jack Coletto, uh, you, you're feeling all right. Are you practicing? Are you healthy? I'm good. We're taking it day by day. So I'm definitely feeling pretty good about how my recovery is being progressing, and we'll see. All right. And from a player standpoint, help us out here because, you know, you, you put in the work in the fall camp and in the spring, and you get into the season. And I've heard NFL players talk about this. They, they just, you know, they know the assignment. They know their bodies have muscle memory. In the course of a typical week at this course at this point of the season – you know, how many days of practice do you need to be at your best and to be able to go? Like, if, if a guy's banged up, is it enough to come in on Wednesday and then a little bit on Thursday and be ready to go for the game, or do you even need that? Could you could a guy play with one day of practice? Well, I do believe, it, especially during the course of a season, you could probably go, I would say, probably about, like, one week of not doing that and kind of showing up and, like, being used to the game speed. But if you were to do that for a pro period of time, the game would start to feel faster just because you're not getting the amount of bank reps you need. 
Yeah. And probably even if you're going to get the physical reps during the practice during the week, you still have to take a lot of mental reps to be able to understand what's going on. How much film do you watch? Are you a film guy? Yeah, I really dive in to a lot of film. I, I try to get as much like pre-snap reads as I can, do whatever I can to make the game as easy as possible for me on Saturdays. Yeah, look, you guys have been lights out on defense. Keep it going. It's been fun to talk to you. Uh, we will catch you next week. Uh, go get Arizona State, and uh, we'll be set up for a big Thanksgiving feast and then uh, and then a big football game with Oregon and Oregon State at Reeser Stadium. Jack Coletto, thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. There he is, Jack Coletto, Oregon State. You feel a little gamesmanship there, Stephen? Yeah. I mean, he uh, said, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Day by day. No information. So, yeah, I think that's. I think you're right on with this. I'm. I'm just wondering it, how healthy is he. We don't know, you know. But but nobody like what advantage do they have to tell us? Uh, Bo Nix, how healthy is he? Uh, I want your phone calls. Oregon, Oregon State. Tell me what you make of these programs right now. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. We got college football playoff rankings coming up top of the hour as well. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Kind of a spooky song there. Every time that plays, I don't know if it's meant to be spooky, but I, I always look behind me like somebody creeping up on me. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. I want to know uh, what you're thinking. What's a, what's on your mind when it comes to the Ducks and the Beavers and these football teams? We've talked a lot about it in the last 45 minutes. I want your take now. Chad's in Portland. Chad, go ahead. Hey, what's up, John? Long time since I've talked to you, man. Listen to your show uh, this time slot again. I'm loving it, man. But I feel like I'm Mugatu and Zoolander taking crazy pills. Uh, with Dan Lennon getting a pass. I mean, I'm glad you played that piece earlier where he, like, apologized and said he would do corrective actions to every single thing except the idiotic clock management. I mean, I know that, like, you know, it's pressure and that's a big game and he's a young uh, coach, but he's also a very well-compensated young coach. I mean, you're not getting a the wrong coffee from a guy that's making minimum wage at Starbucks, dude. This guy's making serious money, and if you can't make, like, what seems like the most simple decision ever, I mean, I, I commented on your piece on Facebook, and people were shredding me saying that's a good idea to take that fourth down in the fourth quarter. That's just insane. I'll take yeah, it off time. Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't like the call, and I wrote about it. I thought there were three things in particular that Lanning did in the game that were – bad news. Uh, number one, uh, I didn't like the call on fourth and one from your own 34. I, I think that was the wrong call. But I, what I would have appreciated more is if Dan Lanning had called timeout there and said, hey, let me think about this. Because I, I felt like there, it was a little bit rushed. I felt like it was haphazard. I just didn't like sort of the feel of things. It felt desperate. Fourth and one from your own 34. Hold on, you're in a tie game. What are you doing? Uh, second thing, I look, I, and I'm going to say this, and I know that some of you are going to love it and some of you are going to hate it. 
But I have all season long looked at Bo Nix and the number of times that he runs with the football, and I have thought about Justin Herbert's collarbone, and I've thought about Dennis Dixon's ACL, and I have gone, hey, they're living this way with Ty Thompson as your backup. Nothing personal, but feels a little risky. Feels a little bit like, are, are you really willing to play this game? And so it's been in the back of my mind. It has been something that I've written about, and and I didn't like Bo Nix running with the football in that situation because Oregon had marched down the field just handing the football off, letting Bo Nix throw. I, in that situation, nine-yard line going in, and, you know, he takes a helmet to the knee or whatever you want to call the injury. Nobody's really talking about it. Whatever it was, knocked him out of the game. Uh, in my mind, that wasn't a great trade-off. That was a, a high-risk, low-reward proposition. And even if Nix waltzes into the end zone and Oregon wins the game, is it this week? Is it next week? If you're playing that game, if you're running your quarterback as much as Oregon was running Bo Nix, I think you have to be willing to accept that, hey, there is some risk with this. So I just don't think with the, Ty Thompson as the backup, it's been wise for Oregon to utilize Knicks as often as they are in the run game. feel like it's a little haphazard. Uh, third thing was the onside kick. I get it. He didn't have faith in his defense. He wanted to steal a possession. He did it against UCLA, but we're all expecting it now that they, they did it against UCLA. And I just, I think, uh, you know, obviously Washington sniffed it out when he changed personnel. And that was it. Uh, is he getting a pass? No. I don't think he's getting a pass. But I also think he does not deserve to get hammered. Uh, and especially now that he is owning it a little bit, I don't think he deserves to get hammered. Mark's in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. I think we're, uh, we're ignoring the elephant in the room, John. The Ducks yep. have the arguably the worst defense in the Pac-12. And they've been dodging bullets all year. They dodged a bullet against Washington State. And Dan Lanning, you know, I'm not agreeing with what he did, but you could, I could totally understand why he's leaving the ball up to his, in his offense's hands. He has no faith in his defense, and why should he? We've talked about how they've scored 40 points a game since the Georgia game. Well, the one time they didn't score 40-plus points, they lost. So they're a dog chasing their tail. Their defense is absolutely horrible. I love the money line on Utah this week. I don't know how you could favor the Ducks. In the la their last three games are their toughest three games. They're playing two teams with probably the best two defenses in the league, and that's what wins conference championships. That's what wins playoffs is defense. And the Ducks have the worst defense in the Pac-12. It's time to start talking about that and understanding a little bit why this guy keeps going for it. He went for it in situations against Washington State where you were going, what's he doing? And, and he's been doing it all year yeah. because he has no faith in his defense. He has no That's faith in his defense, but I, I think on fourth and one from your own 34, if you're going to do that, you take a timeout there, especially if you have Ty Thompson at quarterback. Now, why are they so bad on defense with a guy who is a D coordinator as their head coach? I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Hang on, Flurv. Hang on, Sean and Sandy. Hang on, Dave and Aloha. Uh, I've got two lines open now with those two calls gone. I want more of your phone calls. And Beaver fans, where are you? Heading into two weeks from now, the game formerly known as the Civil War will be held at Reeser Stadium. Where's the enthusiasm for a 7-3 and Oregon State team? Where is it? I want to hear from you. 
By the way, Mike Parker coming on tomorrow's show. We'll talk to him about the Beavers tomorrow. More of your phone calls coming up. Leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Keep this conversation going. I want to continue to talk about Dan Lanning, the Oregon Ducks. Is he getting a pass? Are we being too nice to him? I like what he had to say in the wake of all that mistakes, but if it keeps happening, is it on us? Did we not hold him accountable? Flerv is joining the show. I got a line open still at 503-417-7575. Flerv, what do you think? You got to love that name. You got to love the name Flerv, John. Anyway, <laughs> hey, the, you know what happened on the Duck game? When that, when that, when when Nick's got hit by the by the Washington guy, great read, great call. Yep. I don't know if the coach, but that's what changed the game. As soon as that happened, I texted all my friends saying, "Game over." It remind me of the Dennis Dixon situation. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it had that same feel. Um, all the other callers, and you made great points. You took them from me, but that that was to me the play of the game because that changed everything. And why can't the Ducks, it's always been that bugaboo, those five, ten-yard passes, all game long. Why can't they adjust and stop those? Yeah, that's where they get killed, game after game. You get these 10, 15-yard passes. One more thing, John, you know when you have open form, you talk about an issue, you have people call up like, what's bugging you? you got to do one short program where you have people call up. If they did a Happy Gilmore remake and you had to force them, you had shooters for and yet happy for who would be those people in each force. And I can tell you mine, but I'll let you stew on. Well, with Shooter, it's going to be Shooter. It's going to be Glenn Goulian from The Wedding Singer, right? Glenn Goulian. It's going to be Uncle Rico from uh, (laughs) Uncle Rico from, yeah, Napoleon Dynamite. And then on the other side, happy, you got Owen Wilson. You got Will Ferrell uh, when he played the character in, Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I want you to stew on yours. I want you to stew on yours before I have to, uh, you know, if he, he wasn't ready for that take. Uh, but, hey, look, he said it had undertones of Dennis Dixon. I don't blame him. I don't think he was alone. Flerv was not alone. But I was thinking about it even before Bo Nix got hurt. All right? I was thinking about it. And, and in fact, if you read me at johnconzano.com, the Saturday mailbag last Saturday – Morning was posted at like 8.30, 9 a.m. at a question from a Duck fan who said, are you concerned about what happens to Oregon if Bo Nix gets hurt? And my response to that was, I can't type an answer while I'm knocking on wood. We all we all knew this was dicey, didn't we? 503-417-7575. Dave's in Aloha. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, um... They gambled a few too many times, and it cost them dearly. And their defense is one of their biggest problems right there. They've got to fix that. They couldn't get pressure on the quarterback, and he picked them apart. It was really pathetic. And that last one down to nine, they should have done an RPO instead of – everybody knew it was going to be a Bo Nix quarterback draw. They should have done an RPO and created something more feasible. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with you there. I, I, I would have rather seen – Bo Nix uh, 
in a passing situation or Oregon handing the ball off. What I didn't want to see was what uh, ultimately resulted in the defense knew what was coming. Bo Nix in that situation. Come on, we've all seen it all year long. And Oregon has not been predictable. And that's one of the things that's made them great, but they got a little predictable against Washington. Sean's in Sandy. Sean, do you agree with the callers? What's on your mind? I don't agree with the callers, John. You know, we all do stupid things, but that don't make us stupid. And I think Coach Lanning is going to learn a lot from this first year. And I'm not going to just start shredding on him like everyone else is. You know, I think we've all expected a little bit too much, and he's already done better than we thought. Like if you look at the beginning of the year, he's already done better than a lot of people thought he was going to do. But they're already ready to pile on him. And, you know, people just love to kick you when you're down. I mean, he's made some mistakes. He's made some rookie mistakes, but he's a rookie. So I'm going to totally accept what he's doing and be thankful for what we got. Have a great day. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I, that's the first happy holidays that we've had on this show. I'm waiting for that first Merry Christmas. That's the first happy holidays, and we are on November 15th. I'm writing that down. That is a uh, new unofficial personal record on this show. Is Dan Lanning getting a pass, Stephen? Is he getting a pass? Um, I don't think he's getting the pass. I, I do think he's getting – I will say this. I think he's getting the pass for the Ducks defensively. If he was – you know, he's supposed to come in as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive genius, and this Duck defense has been really bad, as one of the callers said, maybe the worst in the Pac-12. And, you know, we're giving him credit for some of the offensive things, which has been an explosion, which is great. But I think if you're such a defensive genius, there should be some improvement at some point during the year. But it's gotten worse, I think, on the defensive side. So I think in that sense, he's getting a little bit of a pass that the defense has not been improving. But I think overall, he's been done. He's done a great job this year. I think he. I, I want to see more from him. I liked what he said, but we can't have this be every week. Him talking about I need to do better. I need to take my medicine. One of the things I really liked was he said all this stuff after the Georgia game. And what did Oregon do? Oregon kind of got its head screwed on straight and then reeled off, you know, eight straight wins. And I had that same feeling after the Washington game. But Bo Nix's health is wrapped up in all of this. Josh is in Vancouver. Josh, go ahead. So, John, I don't I don't want to start this by letting you down, so let me start this all off by saying Merry Christmas. <laughs> there you go. I really hope that, I really hope <laughs> that uh, the holiday season is wonderful for you and that uh, you get Anna all the things that she's ever wanted and the kids are spoiled rotten, okay? Yeah, we, they're already spoiled rotten, but that's another topic. Go ahead. <laughs> no problem. So, hey, listen, um, there's a couple thoughts that I have. The first thought is, is uh, I don't feel like anybody should be piling on Dan Lanning or – um, or I don't even really think that anybody should be giving him a free pass. At the end of the day, he's not giving himself a free pass. He's, he's owning, you know, the mistakes that he's making through the learning curve that he's going through right now. It's not always going to be the right decisions that he makes, but what I appreciate, what I feel like is a breath of fresh air, is the fact that he just owns it. Like, he just comes out and owns it. Like, he's not pointing blame. He's not making excuses. He's not trying to find – you know, the next thing to deflect, he's literally taking the issues head on and saying, I got to own this, man. Like, I made some mistakes here. I got greedy. Uh, what more do you want the guy to say? So, in my mind, from that respect, there's no reason to pile on. Food for thought, though. Um, I'm not going to sit here and try. I, I don't disagree with some of the callers who have said that, you know, we would like to see the defense make more progress 
having a defensive guru as our head coach. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. However, I keep coming back to one feeling um, over and over and over again, and that's this. I hate to go back to the previous coaching staff, but it really, really, really feels like the previous coaching staff was not good in the area of developing players. You can go right down the roster with the exception of the offensive line, with the exception of the offensive line, in almost every position across the board, Oregon either had to go to the transfer portal to upgrade and get productive players that could produce, or the players that are already on the roster, even some of the most spectacular players. You look at a Justin Flo and a Noah Sewell, uh, they're great players, man, but they have glaring deficiencies. Justin Flo is a liability in the passing game, unlike anything I think Oregon's ever seen in the linebacker position. So when you start looking at all those things in their collective whole, I really do think Dan Lanning's got a much bigger uh, sandwich to eat here in terms of some of the things that have got to get right before this, the program can really take the next step. And, and I'm, I'm good with him leading the ship because I think he does identify that. And unlike what most other coaches would do, which is immediately point those things out and call those things out about Mario Cristobal or blame the players about not taking accountability or they got to work harder and be better – He's owning it, and he's given those players in that locker room a free pass when there's a lot of areas where we could look at and say maybe they don't deserve it. That's what I got for you, my man. Be good. I, I appreciate that, Josh in Vancouver. I think it's strong. I think, look, one of the things I was surprised at uh, was, uh, was the fact that Dan Lanning, who's a defensive-minded coach, came in and Oregon's defense seemed to take a step backwards. Like, that surprised me. But then I started looking at, like, look, we, we talked all about four or five Oregon players who declared early for the draft and then went undrafted. We're talking about defensive backs. We're talking about some depth in the defensive backfield. We're talking about, you know, Mikhail Wright. We're talking about, uh, you know, obviously uh, two corners of that secondary that probably should have stayed at Oregon had a coach been around especially if Lanning had been there throughout that period of early December when those players made that decision, they got bad advice, and they declared for the draft. So I think the secondary got hurt there. I like the linebackers. I don't think you're getting a lot of help from the defensive uh, tackles on this team and the pass rush. But I, you know, I will defer here to some of the defensive coaches in the conference who are telling me, hey, look, they've got some nice pieces, but they're not really playing Dan Lanning's scheme yet. Like, at what point do we say, hey, what, when do we expect, like, Dan Lanning to have Oregon take a defensive step forward? I'll tell you when I expect it. I expect it as soon as he can get a recruiting class in that are his guys. That's what I expect. I expect Oregon to be a defensive-minded team that, you know, runs the football, you know, is dynamic on offense, and then also just runs flies around and kills people on defense. And right now, they are not very good on defense. But let's let's keep in mind, Washington, really good on offense. Michael Penix Jr. might be the offensive MVP of the conference. The problem Oregon has is Utah's coming to town, and Andy Ludwig can call plays. He knows what he's doing. He was and might still be the highest-paid play caller in the Pac-12. He was the first million-dollar offensive coordinator. He doesn't want to be a head coach. He just wants to destroy defenses. He's good. He's cerebral. I've known him for 25 years. He has destroyed people 
with his game plans. And he's got a quarterback in Cam Rising. He's got a receiver on the outside that works outside the hashes. He's got running backs, including Tavion Thomas, who they got cooking last week against Stanford. The offensive line's okay. They utilize the tight ends. They will hammer you if you don't know what you're doing. They did it to USC, and I think it's a problem for Oregon. I think Utah's going to score in this game. So Oregon better have Bo Nix. And we'll get the latest on Nix this week. Like, did he practice? Is he available? Is he healthy? We'll get it for you. Hey, John, let me bring in this point here about Dan Lanning. And are we giving him a free pass? Because you talk about Washington and their offense being great this season. Last season, they were 108th out of 130th in points per game. Uh, with Jimmy Lake, they bring in a new coach, and one year later, they're 13th in the nation in yeah. offense. One year flipped it around. Is that necessarily the talent, or is that the coaching? They go out, they get Kalen DeBoer. He has completely flipped that offense from being inefficient to one of the best in the nation. Yeah, but duck. what else did he bring with him? Michael Penix Jr. came through the portal. That's his guy. But you is, know? but is that is, can that be an argument against Dan Lanning of why can't you at least elevate the duck defense and not have it you know go be worse from last season? I actually think it's easier these days. I could be wrong. A defensive coach could tell me wrong. I think it's easier these days to you know change the identity of your offense with a quarterback and a couple of receivers and a, and a new play caller. I think it's a little easier than going out and finding, you know, some defensive depth and and you know pass rush. Like we saw some deficiencies in Oregon's defense in the last couple years, but the, it it's really evident. Like like they got used against Washington. I want your phone calls 503-417-7575. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 the game. I reached out in the commercial break to uh, a couple of defensive coaches in the conference, and they do not think uh, they think it's a combination of player error in the Washington game and maybe the inability of the coaching staff to adjust during the game for Oregon. So um, it's really interesting. Like there was there was a play in the game. Did you see? Did you watch the game closely, guys? Stephen. Yes. Peter, you watched the game. Uh, not very closely. I okay. had stuff around the house. Okay, so uh, there was an edge rusher for Oregon that literally had a sack of Michael Penix Jr. off the edge, dead to rights, and just he was untouched, and he just missed him, like just didn't tackle him. And but the defensive staff has got to be able to adjust. You got to be able to go, hey, we need, we want to blitz, we want to go to some man coverage. The zone defense wasn't working. Penix just you know basically was playing seven on seven out there. So I think there's a problem there. For Oregon, another problem for Oregon is you happen to be playing a pretty good offensive team and a team that's peaking in Utah. You're getting them at home. That's an advantage. But Utah's peaking. Kyle Whittingham does a really good job of getting his team ready to play this time of year. It feels a little bit like deja vu from last year. And then in your season finale, unfortunately for Oregon, you're going to Research Stadium where it's really hard to win. USC... He was so lucky to get out of there, they should have ran straight to the bus from the field. Don't even go to the locker room. Just get on the bus and go home. Because they were so lucky to get out of there, 17-14 winners. Kyle's in Wilsonville. Kyle, go ahead. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, two things. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, 
I wanted to say thank you for the positive impact you and the Bald Face Truth Foundation has on the community, uh, particularly Camp Exceptional. I know my three kids love Camp Exceptional, and as a parent, uh, I love the chance it gives my autistic son uh, the opportunity to participate in sports, a number of sports activities in a positive environment. So thank you. Well, thank you for bringing your kids out to the camp. Yeah, they, they love it. We look forward to it every year, so thank you. Second thing, as an Oregon State fan, I am salivating, just salivating at the prospect of Oregon Ducks losing the last three regular season games. I just, when I saw them lose to Washington, I I got so excited. <laughs> so. Yeah, I... Look, I think that there are a lot of fans who have watched Oregon and seen the Oregon, the resources at Oregon and, and probably find it um, off-putting. And so there's probably the non-diehard Duck fans that are out there that are just like, you know, sort of, uh, I, I you know, giddy over the idea that, hey, they're having struggles just like us. It's like when you, you know, my wife, Anna, she, she'll pick up Us Magazine now and then. And they have this whole feature where they take a picture and it's like Drew Barrymore and she's pumping her own gas. Hey, they're just like us. I think there's some of that that is going on right now with Oregon. When Oregon lost to Georgia and when Oregon lost to Washington, their two losses this season, I do see the rest of the Pac-12 looking over at Oregon going, ha-ha, you know, we've been there. And, and I think, I, I just think that's, I don't think it's jealousy. I just think it's, hey, uh, they're like us, you know, everybody struggles. All of these teams in the conference, outside of Colorado, I just think just about everybody in this conference has the chance to win this weekend. Yeah, I don't no, think I, I, I don't think Colorado can win. Yeah, I have a friend who went to Oregon State, and as soon as Oregon lost to Washington, he texts me and goes, Oregon State's the best program in the state of Oregon, like this year. And that's just how he feels now because Oregon lost, like you said, like they're just like us. And so now he, you know, he's convinced that Oregon State is going to beat Oregon and be the team in the state of Oregon. And I think it's good for everybody around the Pac-12 to have that thought, but at the same time, Oregon was probably the best chance to go to the college football playoff if you're a Pac-12 fan. They announced, uh, I had a friend who was in the club level at Oregon State at Research Stadium on Saturday. When they announced the Oregon loss, the club level erupted. And the people who were at the snack bars were watching the Oregon game as they're waiting in line for the concession stand. They were watching the Oregon game on television that was up on the monitors and on their phones. And when they put the score of the Oregon game up at halftime at Research Stadium, people who were there tell me that it, the stadium erupted. It was uh, there was a lot of that going on. And you know what? I think some of it is the Oregon State fans are like, you know what? You know we're we're decent now. We're not a pushover. And I think they were rooting for Washington to knock Oregon off because it also sort of sets up, like you know, it sets up for a great game on November 26th at Research Stadium. Bruce is in Portland. Bruce, what do you got? A couple things. First of all, it was going to be a great game regardless, and I don't know how any Oregon or Oregon State fan can root for Washington. That is absolutely <laughs> unpatriotic, you know. I don't care who Oregon's playing. But anyway, above and beyond that, Oregon's D has always been suspect. Their secondary has always been, even under Aliotti, you know, the bend-don't-break philosophy. You know, their secondary has never been top-notch. Um, I don't know what it is or, or how or what's going on, but I've got some hunches, you know. 
The whole scene in college football has changed with this transfer portal. You've got a half a dozen top-notch quarterbacks in the Pac-12 now who are all being raised to throw. Nobody runs the ball hardly anymore, man. All these quarterbacks now are throwing. Everybody wants to be a receiver. I mean, the game is changing in front of us. Uh, you know, you run a little bit, they say, to keep the defense honest. But, uh, you know, if you can't – and then you start playing zone. If you can't get pressure on the quarterback quickly – he will eat you apart. I don't care who's back there throwing the ball. You give these receivers three, four, five seconds to run routes and get open, it's hard to stay with anybody for that long, you know? So it's, there's some things I think fundamentally that have to change. Um, I think Dan Lanning's going in the right direction, but we're sure not seeing it yet. And just wait, Oregon State fan. We're, we're coming to play. So we're going to get by Utah this weekend. And then the big game after Thanksgiving, you will see. We'll be seeing who's talking on Monday. I'm out. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, look, I think it's shaping up to be a great game. I looked this morning on StubHub. If you want to get a lower-level ticket to the Oregon-Oregon State game, uh, something between the goal lines, lower level, cheapest ticket was $315. So if you want to go to the game, you and a friend, you're talking about you know $600-plus to get to the game. Jacob's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Jacob. Uh, how you guys doing? I wanted to comment on, uh, you know, I, I am a diehard Duck fan. I've lived in Eugene since 1998 and uh, watching the, the pro, uh, progression of this team and this program. But it's like it's like every year here people get upset with, when they lose, you know, late in the season. It's like every year they're 9-3, 10-2. But when they lose that second game, people lose their minds, you know, and it's like – uh, it seems like people don't have realistic goal. I mean, of course, the goal is always to win the last game of the season, the championship game. But, I mean, I think it's also important to have, like, realistic goals. When you looked at our schedule when it was released, you know, if, if you didn't think that, you know, the chances of being 7-1, and 8-1 and one were possible, and then, you know, the last three games of the season were definitely going to be, you know, the, uh, the beef of the season then uh, I just don't know what to say to people. You know, for me, my, my uh, projection was hopefully 10-2 with a chance at the Rose Bowl, and I was really hoping to beat Washington. But, you know, that goal is still very much alive, and, you know, go Ducks. Yeah, the goal's alive. The season is up in the air. Right now there are five teams that are in contention for getting to Las Vegas and playing for the conference championship. Uh, among them, Washington, uh, Oregon, Utah and the two LA schools. I don't know about you guys. I don't want the two LA schools winning the conference championship. That's just me. We're going to talk about that coming up because there was some uh, there was some information that the UC Regents got that was leaked today as uh, part of the public uh, format and the public process that goes into the hearings that are going to take place this week. UCLA, I thought had a bad day today as some of this information got out and it feels like it's a little more hopeful for the rest of the Pac-12 right now as far as the Bruins possibly staying in the Pac-12. I'll tell you what I mean next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Two weekends ago, I was in Seattle 
I'm only telling you this because something weird happened. I was in Seattle. Anna and the girls came. Uh, we ended up uh, staying at a hotel that was near the university, uh, not downtown, because Anna was going to go with the girls, and they were going to walk around that area, and they eventually ended up at the Space Needle. We've talked about this, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. But the the uh, net result was I ended up in a hotel that had a restaurant in the lobby, and the UCLA men's soccer team happened to be playing Washington on, I think it was Thursday night, because the game for Oregon State and, and Washington was a Friday game. So I uh, am in the hotel on Thursday night. Friday morning, I got up early. I went down for breakfast. So unlike me, it was like 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. What am I doing? But I was down there hanging out, and I immediately recognized, oh, this is some UCLA team. So I didn't know the soccer team was in town. So I said, what do you guys, what sport do you guys play? They, they could have said fencing, and I would have believed them. But they went, oh, we play soccer. So I got a chance to talk to some soccer players, uh, more than one. And uh, I got some feedback on their move to the Big Ten Conference. And the soccer players told me that they had just played the previous Saturday at Rutgers, which was a great stroke of fortune because, you know, they're talking about joining the Big Ten Conference, big meeting this week with the UC Regents. And so it was an opportunity for me to kind of pick their brains and go, hey, what, uh, how, do you, how do you guys feel about this? Um, you know, what are the, what's the downside? You know, there's an impact here, particularly in basketball, football, baseball, tennis, and soccer, and women's indoor volleyball. There's an impact. Those are the sports that have the greatest travel impact of UCLA. Okay, uh, There are some other sports that have an impact that are lighter, and there are a couple of few sports that aren't going at all. I should, Out of fairness, I should point out volleyball and water polo are going to have no travel impact. They're not joining the Big Ten. Um, cross country, track and field, golf, swim and diving, rowing, um, they are having, uh, you know, they're in the Big Ten, but they are going to have less of a travel impact because they're not going to play a full Big Ten schedule because some of the Big Ten schools don't have those sports. So they're going to be moderately impact. But the big impact comes in basketball, football, baseball, tennis, soccer, softball, gymnastics, and indoor volleyball. Okay? So uh, I wrote a column after talking to the UCLA soccer players basically calling out UCLA a little bit and saying, hey, look, have they bothered to talk to these guys? They, they're they not in favor of it. One of the players told me, hey, it's six hours on a plane. If you're asking me, it's too much. We're students, okay? So I wrote it, and I got a phone call. I was, you know, I was with Anna and the girls later that day, that morning. It was the morning of the game on Friday. I got a phone call. I'm not surprised this happens. If you're critical of somebody, so, you, you know, you're going to get phone calls. I was critical of UCLA, and Martin Jarman, the athletic director at UCLA, called me. We have a good relationship, um, and he said, hey, you know, uh, why, didn't you talk to, why didn't you talk to some soccer players who were in favor of this? And I said, where are they? Like, I was at breakfast. I talked to several of them, and I couldn't find one. And he says, well, there are some guys on that team that are in favor of us going to the Big Ten. I said, well, why don't you give me one? 
And I'll talk to him. I'll write that piece just to be fair. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And then he said, we did a survey. We surveyed 600 athletes. And we interviewed 600 athletes. We gave them a survey. And the majority of athletes are in favor of this, he says. And I said, give me the survey. And he said, I'm not going to do that. Well, I got the survey today, or I got the results. Um, you know, look, we, it was a cordial conversation. I've been in those conversations before. I said, look, I'm, you know, you're, up, you're unhappy. Call me. Yell at me. I'll yell at you. We'll be okay. It happens. This is part of the job. There is a conflict resolution part of the job if you are willing to have opinions that is going to be inherent in this job, okay? So I'm not bellyaching about the fact that I ended up on the phone with him while I'm at the Space Needle with my kids. But uh, I just thought it was interesting that he was taking issue saying, why don't you talk to more athletes? And I said, well, give me an athlete who's in favor of this, and I'm happy to talk with him. And he said, no. And then he says, well, we did a survey with 600 athletes. And I said, give me the results of the survey. And he said, no. And I said, well, what are we talking about here? Like, what are you, why are you calling me? If, you know, you're going to argue with me and I say, well, all right, give me your side and you don't have a side. Um, so I got it today. The UC Regents put this out publicly because uh, they have to. Uh, this is, uh, you know, some of the executive notes that are part of the meetings that are going to take place this week. Really, the meat of this is happening in the next 48 hours in San Francisco. So part of this is the actual data from the 600 athletes that they surveyed. Now, I think it's really interesting that they surveyed 600 athletes. That's really cool. That seems like a big sample size. But I was a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, interested when I saw the data. Guess what? Only 111 survey respondents were noted in the survey, meaning 489 of the 600 athletes that they gave the survey to didn't bother to fill it out. Okay? 111 did. Of the 111, I talked earlier about the sports that were impacted. Guess how many athletes? In men's basketball, football, baseball, tennis, and soccer, actually filled out the survey. Stephen, Peter, just let it rip. How many football, basketball, baseball, tennis, and soccer players in men's sports at UCLA filled out the survey? Um, impacted sports. Yeah, impacted sports. I just stab. There's no wrong answer. I have no idea. Let's Uh, just go at forty percent. Of it, so thirty-five people. That's funny. That's exactly what I was going to say. Was thirty-five. So I will. Uh, if your bid's thirty-five, I'll go thirty-four. How about nine? <laughs> Four football players filled out the survey. Four. One basketball player filled out the survey. Two tennis players. Two soccer players. Nobody from the baseball team bothered to fill out the survey. Nine. Nine. On the women's side. 11 basketball players filled it out. 11 softball players filled it out. Five gymnastics athletes, two tennis players, two soccer players, two volleyball players. 33 total. That's 42 athletes at UCLA filled out the survey. Out of hundreds and hundreds impacted in football, baseball, tennis, soccer, basketball, men's and women's uh, in those uh, latter sports. Um, Really interesting. It feels to me like the athletes went, eh, they're doing it anyway. 
or they were told not to fill it out, or they only gave it to student-athletes who maybe were in favor of moving to the Big Ten Conference. I think the Regents are going to have, have an issue with that. I think they're going to have a problem going, this is not a study. You didn't talk to your athletes. 600 athletes, 600 in that, in that, uh, in that department, that athletic department, 111 filled out the survey. Of the 111, guess what? 72% were women. It's, it's like we're talking like 40 guys in the whole athletic department who uh, you know, are, and a lot of them, dramatically impacted by this. But if I'm a basketball player at UCLA, I'm not thinking about what happens in 2024. I'm like, hey, I'm a one and done. I'm out of here. Why would I fill out this survey? One basketball player filled it out. Four football players. This is ridiculous. They didn't do a survey. That's why the athletic director didn't want to give me the results. There are no results. <laughs> There's nobody filled it out. What's going on here? I think this is going to hurt UCLA. It certainly feels like there haven't been too many people – that are in favor of this move, right? Like, there's not many people coming out and saying, this is a great move for UCLA, um, except for, like, you know, the higher-ups there. Yeah. The athletic director, yeah. I think I think he wants it. I think the university president, Gene Block, I think he wants to go to the Big Ten. They're going, hey, this solves our financial problem, and I understand that part of it. Like, look, if I were in their spot, I might I might be going, you know what? Uh, we're They're borrowing money right now. They're upside down badly right now in the athletic department. I have the numbers in front of me. Because of the pandemic, they lost $62 million in 2021. Okay? Year before that, they lost $21 million. Year before that, they lost $18 million. The two years before that, they broke even. So they've got, you know, fiscal losses in 2019, 2020, and 2021 that are north of $100 million. And they're borrowed money. And the athletic department is responsible for pay- repaying the interest. So they're going, this is our way out. You know, I kind of wonder if the UC regents are going to go, that's just your problem, man. That's like a business problem. This isn't to be solved by, as Bill Walton said, looking to the Midwest for the answers. Is, is this a short-term solution just to help get the money back? But in the Feels long, like it. But in the long term, it could actually hurt? Uh, yeah, because they get into the travel that they're going to have to do. To mitigate the travel impact, UCLA and USC are planning on sharing flights between their teams and other accommodations. They're still going to pay between $4.6 and $5.8 million in travel that they would not have in the Pac-12. So a year. So there's about, let's just say $5 million a year in travel that they're not going to have. There's an additional $3 million in nutritional support because they're going to have to feed athletes who are on the road longer. So that's $8 million a year. There's a $1 million in academic support that they're going to increase because, uh, guess what? These uh, They're going to have a lot of kids that are on the road longer. They're going to need tutors. They're going to need learning specialists. They, they say they're going to increase their learning specialists from three to six. That's, uh, you know, they're going to enhance their technology for athletes. So now we're at $9 million. Mental health services, they're going to have to increase those, $600,000. So let's round up. We're at $10 million now. All right? So you're at $10 million more in the Big Ten Conference per year than the Pac-12. The actual number that the Big Ten members, maybe this is too inside baseball for people to get, is going to be $62.5 million per year average distribution in the new media rights deal. 
the Pac-12, if UCLA is part of the picture, is pushing into the probably into forty million plus a year. So you're you're literally talking about a difference of about ten to twelve million dollars a year, maybe less, for UCLA to go to the Big Ten versus the Pac-12. I don't think that's enough. I don't think the Regents are going to go. Oh, this is a no-brainer. I actually think the Regents may penalize UCLA to the point where UCLA has to reverse course and go, this just doesn't pencil out. What if the regents go, hey, you have to give $5 million a year to Cal? Suddenly, UCLA is dragging their athletes across the country for what? Five or $8 million a year? Like, you know, that's walking around money for somebody like Phil Knight. And that, like the Pac-12 would just go, hey, look, we're going to give you a larger distribution because you can get to the playoff more, more easily in the Pac-12 than you can in the Big Ten now, like you're actually like I understand why George Klyovkov said it. They lose money in the deal. Remember when he said that? And everybody said he was crazy. I actually think that this is an interesting back of the napkin calculation. The Regents, I kind of leaning now that the Regents. I'm not saying they're going to make UCLA turn around, but they make they may make it difficult for UCLA to stomach the gains they think they're getting. And I'm going back now, and I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my job. I did it earlier. That phone call I got from UCLA's AD, he's upset about me writing about that soccer player who didn't want, who didn't think it was a good idea to go. Why does he care? Would a sports columnist who lives in the state of Oregon hosts a radio show, why does he care what I think? Why would the athletic director at UCLA care what I think? Unless he was concerned that the narrative that I was pitching, that they hadn't talked to the athletes, that they, that their survey, like you know that you know they haven't really consulted with their athletes. All they care about is the money. Unless there was some truth in that, just throwing that out there. Keep an eye on this meeting this week. I don't think it's a no-brainer anymore that UCLA's gone to the Big Ten. I I I still think it's more likely than not that they go to the Big Ten. But I think the Regents, if they're reading what I'm reading, they may push back. I, that, yeah. I think during the week you said maybe about 10%, a 90 to 10% chance. Do you think the numbers changed or is it about the same? I, I, I woke up this morning thinking 10%, and then I saw this the, the data from their survey, and I thought if the mission of the UC Regents is to educate students, if they care about students, that's troubling that UCLA didn't really survey their athletes or didn't didn't take the time to ask enough athletes or demand, hey, we need you to fill this out. Like, it feels to me like they kind of said, fill this out if you want to, and most of the athletes went, well, what's the point? You're going anyway. Fill out a survey? I don't think they got a lot of buy-in for this. They got 111 out of their 600 athletes to fill it out. And then even then, the numbers themselves – you know, look, I tweeted out a link to the thing. Read it for yourself. The numbers themselves, it's like 58% are in favor of this, and, you know, 56% think this is better for their brand. And, like, this, that's not no, that's not no-brainer math to me. So I'm just curious what the Regents will do. But, I, you know, I mean, here's my prediction. My prediction is lawsuits. If UCLA goes to the Big Ten, I think there's a real chance that Cal and maybe the remaining Pac-12 schools sue UCLA. If UCLA 
stays in the Pac-12, I think the Big Ten's going to sue UCLA. I think UCLA's in a bit of a, a mess here, and I, it doesn't look to me like they thought this through. 503-417-7575. I want your phone calls on this. What do you make of it? Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Big week in the Pac-12 conference. Got a bunch of football games. Plus, we've got the UC Regents meeting coming up later in the week. We'll play some punch at audio in the 5 o'clock hour. Bruce Barnum will join us. We'll have the 5 at 5. But uh, I want to talk about the UCLA, the possibility that UCLA reverses course and comes back to the Pac-12. Like, I, you know, look, I still think it's more likely than not that UCLA goes and that the Regents say we're disappointed. But there were a couple things buried in that in that uh, data that I saw today that I tweeted out, at John Canzano BFT on Twitter if you want to follow me, uh, that were really interesting. And one of the things was that uh, UCLA apparently signed something with the Big Ten Conference on July 13th. That's when they signed. They announced they were leaving on June 30th. Two weeks later, they signed some documents with the Big Ten Conference. There's some potential litigation there. But it's also interesting to me, there were objections, widespread objections, between June 30th and July 13th. Did UCLA sign something even though they knew the regents were not happy and wanted answers? Will the regents push back against UCLA this week? Eric's in Portland. Eric, what's on your mind? Well, uh, there's a huge, uh, UCLA and the uh, university system has already made $700 million in payouts as a result of the UCLA gynecologists being found guilty of sexual assault. Yes. And that's a heck of a lot of money, and I think one of the reasons why they're very gun-ho in pushing this deal is because uh, they've had to, again, hundreds of millions of dollars in payouts that uh, they're on the hook for, and that might uh, be a factor in why. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, your phone's a, a little shaky, but it's, you know, they had the uh, James Heaps, I believe his name was. He was the gynecologist at UCLA that was, uh, you know, had a bunch of claims of sexual misconduct against him. He had a variety of roles at the school. He was there for like 35 years. He was charged in 2019. He was indicted last year on 21 counts uh, that were from the years 2009 to 2018. And UCLA, yes, has paid about $700 million to settle the claims uh, with student-athletes and students in general. The problem, though, is it comes back to the math I was talking about. Look, let's just simplify it. The, the numbers that we saw with the Big Ten's media rights deal with Fox and everything else initially were like 72 to $80 million. I saw people say $100 million. I, I kept seeing it. It kept growing. It was like one of those endorsement deals. Like, you know, it was like Damian Lillard's initial Adidas endorsement deal. It was a $100 million deal. Well, we turned out it was more like $50 million. It's still a great deal, but, you know, it, as these deals get done, you know, the people who get them done, the agents involved, the players involved, the parties involved, everybody sort of inflates the numbers. The actual number... The actual distribution, the average distribution 
per school in the Big Ten Conference over the life of this deal is $62.5 million. $62.5 million. Okay? That's the average deal. All right? So that's the number. The Big Ten Conference will tell you, hey, it could grow to 70, it could grow to 80. Okay, but guaranteed 62.5, that's the number on the media rights deal. Uh, by comparison, the Pac-12 with UCLA in the conference is going to be somewhere north of 40 million. Okay, let's call it 42.5, just so it's round numbers. So we're talking about a difference of $20 million a year. That's a lot of money, $20 million a year. Except then you start talking about travel, you start talking about the tutors they're going to hire, the mental health, the nutrition, and all of a sudden that number starts to whittle down under $10 million, $8 million, and then uh, you start to go, okay, wait a minute, is it worth $8 million a year for UCLA to go? And what happens, uh, by the way, UCLA can get to the NCAA tournament easier in the Pac-12 conference, and it can get to the college football playoff easier in the Pac-12 conference, and then all of a sudden you start going, well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't a good deal because those college football playoff spots, when the playoff expands to 12 teams, that's going to be like a 20 to $40 million windfall for the universities who make it. And wait a minute, does UCLA have a prayer of making the playoff in the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State in there? And all of a sudden you start to go, uh, maybe this is a break-even proposition. Like UCLA isn't getting that much money. I don't know. Keep an eye on it. I still think it's more likely than not that they go because, you know, I think they're going to go and then maybe there's some lawsuits that happen after. But... This isn't an easy decision. I think the regents are going to push back this week. All right, coming up, the happy hour. The 5 at 5, we'll start it right there. you got the bald-faced truth, plus Bruce Barnum still ahead. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. There's part of me when I'm all fired up talking about media rights and all this other stuff. There's part of me that's like, you know what? I don't think the rank and file listener cares. I don't. I think some of you care. I think some of you get it. Some of you go, hey, I'm really into this. Really care about the conference. You know what's going on. Tell me what's going on. But I think there's a faction of people who just go, man, I just want this to end. I want the games to matter. I want the players to matter. Maybe we all want that to matter. But... We got, I, to me, I, am a, I do geek out a little bit on this stuff. And you tell me, if you don't care about it, if you're like Kenzano, like you care about this way more than I care about it, I'm okay with that. You can let me know. But I care about it. I do. I care about the conference. I care what the shape of this conference is going to look like. I'm plugged into it. And when I get angry phone calls from athletic directors, I, I go, why are they so into this? Why does this matter to them? Spider senses are tingling. Got some uh, big news to share with you this hour. Plus, Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, will join us. Talk about their season finale coming up. By the way, the Blazers, uh, Blazers playing tonight? Yeah, they got a uh, game at home against the Spurs. 7 o'clock tip-off. You guys fired up for the Blazer game? 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what do you mean? I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's the, I can't it's care the about that more than you. It's the Spurs. No, I mean, I, that's the only reason it's the Spurs. But yeah, it's exciting to see him uh, play so well, tied for first place in the Western Conference, uh, somewhat healthy-ish. So uh, yeah, I mean, should be another win. I think that's good. I think when you say tied for first place, we should have like a a thing because you know, there's part of me that says that this won't last forever. Well, that's but... why. That's why I say it. Say it again. Well, they're tied for first place. Yeah. I think we do that anytime somebody says that they're tied for first place. That gets me pumped, John. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, we don't plan on saying it, so it's like we got to get it as much as we can. Like, the Blazers have the sixth best defense in the NBA. It's like, I don't plan on saying that all year. So. And by the way, are tied for first place. <laughs> See? I think we should do that every time. Uh, by the way, uh, they're in a three-way tie for first place. So there you go. should we not trumpet it when we say it's a three-way tie? Because they are tied 9-4 and four with the Denver Nuggets, and then the Jazz are at 10-5, and five, technically still in a tie, even though their win percentage is behind. Um, you know, they're considered to be in a tie. But um, Well, Blazers beat the Nuggets, so they got the tiebreaker over the Nuggets. <laughs> Less if the lo- seed, if the playoffs started today, yeah, <laughs> the Blazers would be the one seed. If the playoffs started today, um, Blazers. But by the way, for the teams that are atop the standings, Blazers only three and two at home. I know it's interesting, right? They've been so good on the road. I mean, uh, that road trip four and two. I mean, the Warriors last year would take four and two on that trip. And don't get me wrong, look, some things had to bounce their way. They needed a couple game winners. I look. I believe in this team. This team is real. That doesn't mean that I'm not expecting a little bit of regression back to the mean, but still, I think it's consistent. This is a playoff team. When will their their last day of being? in first place <laughs> happen in this year is today the last day no or... because i expect them to get the win tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they don't win tonight is today their last day in first place it could be i don't think so i hate to be a downer i'm just i'm kind of going look i know at some point this ends this is kind of like a friend we all have a friend or had a friend in college that was dating like the, you know, somebody that was out of their league, okay? And we go, at some point, this relationship is going to end. The Blazers are not going to stay in first place <laughs> for the entire season. So how much longer do they have? Um, I'm, I'm looking get... at their schedule right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple tough games in there, but there's some gimmies, too. I mean... Th- They've been dealing with the injury bug. They've had a hard schedule. It definitely does go away, but I think they remain in first place for, I'm going to say for another 10 days. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say they have until Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) I think they've got, they got Brooklyn and Utah on Thursday and Saturday. I'll give them to the, after the Bucks game. They'll be in tie for first for the Bucks yeah. game. You think then, Monday? Yeah. You think Monday? They lose to the Bucks and then they fall out. We, we do know that Nikola Jokic has entered health and safety protocols in the last hour, right? Uh, yes. Yes. I kind of just think that health and safety of our mindset, you know, okay. I think may at best case scenario they got maybe a week in first place. 
mean, John, you and me were more down on the Blazers than everyone else. I have officially, you know, on my Believe in Blazers podcast, check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've officially changed my expectations. I expect them to be a playoff team, like a top six team. Now, I don't expect them to be three or four. I need to see more, man. Why, but, why are you changing it? They played 13 games. Because I, it, I think You it, said 20, 25 games. Right, and, I, and I, I've gone against my word, but I've seen too much, and I, I'm buying in already to say they're, they, that's the expectation. They should If they don't make the playoffs, they don't make that top six, and to get in the actual eight-seed playoffs, it's a disappointing season. I think they got about a week here, and then and then they and then they start. There's too many teams right on their tails. Like they're in a three-way tie right now. They could be knocked out. They lose tonight. They're out. And the Western they're, Conference is brutal, man. That's yeah, tough. So I mean, I think they get. I think they win tonight against San Antonio. Then Brooklyn on Thursday is that a win or a loss, guys? Uh, I would say they'd be. They're probably going to be favored. So I think uh, it's a win. I think they split the Nets and Jazz games. All right. Then comes the Jazz. Uh, then at Milwaukee, at Cleveland, at New York, at Brooklyn, Clippers, at home, at Lakers, at Utah. You know, I, I think we're on uh, we're on dicey ground here. And look, I and here's what it feels like to me. All right, a few years ago, I ran the Starlight Run with my daughter, my oldest daughter. It's a uh, it's a 5K, 3.1 miles. It's not an incredibly long race, but I had not been running at all, okay? Like, I hadn't run more than a block prior to this race. She had been running. And as a good dad, I said, look, um, I've been doing some bike riding. I haven't really been running, but I will, uh, I'll run the race with you. I thought we were going to jog it. Nope. She wanted to go to the start of the race. She wanted to be up at the front with all the people wearing the short shorts who run all the time. You know those people? They were all in the front of the line. Some of them had gloves on. Like I was like, this is ridiculous. These people are pros. What am I doing up here? I'm out of my league. And uh, I feel like the Blazers are like me at the front of that line because I thought, you know what? I'm going to sprint with these people. I'm going to stay in front of this race as long as I can stay in front of this race. And, you know, I know I can't sprint the whole 3.1 miles, but I'm going to sprint for about two city blocks here and see if I can lead this damn starlight race with all these people cheering on the sidelines for two for two blocks. And so the gun went off, and I took off running. And I, I led that race for about a half a block. And I was in the front. I was running like Charlie Brown in one of his specials, his holiday specials, right up front. And I uh, led that race for about a half a block, and I feel like the Blazers are a little bit in that position right now. And call me a hater. I am. Maybe I am. But I just I'm I'm proud of where they are. I'm excited for Blazer fans. Man, it's been fun. They haven't lost two in a row. And they've been playing really well. And they're fun and that's great. And I hope this keeps up and I hope that they get the home court advantage of the playoffs. But uh I'm looking at it going, okay, at some point they come down to earth here. Uh I'm gonna say, what is your official guess on when they fall out of first place, guys? I'm gonna say in four games. So that would be the uh, November twenty second, I guess, the game at the day after okay. the next game. I'm saying sooner. I'm going to say it's it's Saturday night, Sunday morning. They're out of first place when mm. the standings come out. See, I'm just I'm a little bit more optimistic. I'm saying yeah, it's okay. We yeah. need we need that in the room. We I, need that. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say at the end of November against the uh, the Clippers. I think they do well on November. the on the uh, the New York trip. I think they beat Brooklyn in Brooklyn, and I think they beat the Knicks in New York. You think on Thanksgiving they're gonna be in first place? I do, and then I think it goes downhill oh. from there. 
Okay. We ha- see. We need you miracle. in the room. Yeah, it's a Thanksgiving miracle. <laughs> you know it, baby. It. So yeah. I'm the curmudgeon <laughs> in this room. Peter's the optimist. Stephen, you're in the middle. I'm not just the man. All right. Let's do. Let's do the five at five. Five biggest stories going on. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes Benz of Wilsonville. See more than four thousand vehicles at Swickert.com. Well, the Yankees have uh, agreed with Anthony Rizzo on a multi-term deal up to worth $51 million. How many years? Two years. Club option for a third year. He'll make $34 million over the next two seasons, plus the club option for 2025. Includes a $6 million buyout. $40 million guaranteed. He could make as much as $51 million. Yankees trying to build a team. Do they get Aaron Judge? Or do the Giants end up with him? Keep an eye on that. Rams receiver Cooper Cup is going to have ankle surgery. He'll go on the injured reserve. Sean McVay told reporters today that Cup will miss at least four games. Did not rule the receiver out for the rest of the season. It's a tightrope procedure that will be performed on him. Uh, typically, the recovery time on that is five to six weeks. Sprained his ankle in week 10 against the Cardinals in the fourth quarter, trying to catch a pass from John Wolford. Cup uh, appeared to grab his ankle. Rams have injury problems. Cup is a big part of that offense, as uh, Peter Sampson knows. How big a blow is that to the Rams? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty big blow, but ultimately, this is a team that wasn't really doing a whole lot anyway. I'm, I'm totally not surprised that they've uh, taken a step back. Uh, for the most part, they were healthy until, of course, Beckham in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's very disappointing, but they weren't going to do much. Third thing, Aaron Rodgers, he says the whole league should go to grass. Not that kind of grass. He said that they should mandate that all games are played on natural grass services. Says he doesn't have high hopes it'll happen. Doesn't have confidence in the league, putting players first. Uh, By the way, Aaron Rodgers was against the NFL's expansion to 17 games. He says it's a player safety issue. Expanding to 17 games was about money. Put your money where your mouth is. If player safety is important, then go to all grass inside the stadiums. I think he'd get great support there from a lot of people who also believe that uh, AstroTurf or artificial surfaces, whatever we're calling it now, uh, that it isn't good for players. Aaron Rodgers leading the charge there. Number four in our five at five. How about your manager of the year awards? Terry Francona of the Cleveland Guardians is your American League Manager of the Year. Third time he's won it. He got 17 first place votes. Uh, Orioles skipper Brandon Hyde was second. Scott Service with the Mariners was third. Dusty Baker, Aaron Boone, Kevin Cash also got votes. Francona had the youngest team in baseball. Took him to a division title. Third Manager of the Year award. He got 17 first place votes, nine second place votes. Good enough to make him the manager of the year. Finally, fourth thing. Let's talk a little bit about Dan Lanning. He spoke yesterday. He said that he made a bunch of mistakes in Oregon's games on Saturday. He said he would not also share any injury updates. Listen carefully to what he said here. Is Bo Nix playing or not? Yeah, I'm not going to share really any update um, with anybody. I, we came away dinged in that game. You know, I, I, I will say that I feel a lot more positive today getting to hear some news um, on where things are at right now. A lot more positive today. What is he saying? Kind of cryptic. Guys, do you think Bo Nix goes on Saturday or no? 
Yes, I do. And I think the Ducks need him. You talked about if they don't have Bo Nix, you think they can win? I think if they don't have Bo Nix, I don't think there's a chance they beat Utah. So I think they need him, and I think he does play. Man, I don't know. I'm a little pessimistic. I mean, we opened this show talking about gamesmanship. I I, I just don't think he's going to go. I don't think he's going to be ready. I, I, I will say today I think he's going to go. I reserve the right to withhold that. I don't know if he practiced today. I'm trying to find out. Did he practice? Is he available? Is he limping around? We'll talk about it. Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, is coming up. Plus, we'll take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. You get the BFT. Leave it here. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest is the head football coach at Portland State. His name's Bruce Barnum. He's coming off a loss to Sacramento State. I heard Sacramento State's really good. First 10-0 team in America. Bruce Barnum joining us. How good is Sacramento State? Uh, they're legit, John. They've got a quarterback. they got a running back. they got another quarterback. they got some guys in the back end. I mean, <laughs> they're equal to a, you know, a mid-major uh, you know, FBS, I think, watching them play and who they are. Give me an idea. Uh, we line them up against, uh, you said Washington was for real at the beginning of the year, and you were right. We line them up against Washington. Do they do they stay in that game? Do they get blown off the field? What happens to them? No, they hold on for a while, but they get beat by Washington, I think. They, they get beat by the top, the top tier Pac-12s. You know, they, 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 they have an FBS one. I can't remember who it is. Colorado oh, okay. State, maybe. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I got Google in front of me. And they won by a lot, you know. But I think that program was down watching the film and got a little muddy. Uh, but no, Washington beats them. Oregon beats them. Oregon State. And those teams beat them. Colorado State. Opinion. They beat Colorado State. You're right. Forty-one ten. Yeah, it, it was in the game. It was over quick. I like that. They uh, swamped them. They swamped them. Uh, they beat you guys, forty-five seventeen. Uh, you're, when you get in a game like that, um, it's got to be frustrating. I, you know, I've coached a little third grade uh, basketball, and uh, I got in a game where I was getting blown out. I was getting frustrated. Like, what do you do as a coach? Do you can you sit there and get angry, or do you sit there and kind of go, "Hey, look, tip the cap, do our best to stay in this game." No, you, you know, you, you, I looked at us. I looked at you know, because you want to be. That's where you want to be. You know, um, yeah. you looked at our mistakes, and a mistake in that game gets magnified from everywhere, from coaches, players. I'm evaluating. Okay, why are you better than us? Okay, that guy, you got you got us there. You got us in that area. You know, because I'm, uh, I was more looking at it. What do I have to recruit? Who do I have to recruit to beat you? You know, um, not looking at the flights or the warmers on the sideline, and all the hoopla and the the sugar. Just okay. Whistle blown on this field. Uh, why are you beating me like this? You know. Give me an idea. Sac State. They've got an investment in their athletic department. Um, if we give Portland State a stadium and those resources, I mean, isn't that the, isn't that the hardest part of this? Or can I say that? Are you allowed to say that? You get in trouble for saying that? Well, no, I'm not gonna have trouble. It's, you know, this is our last show of the year, right? We gotta celebrate with a little trouble. Um. <laughs> Their president and AD, um, I heard, uh, you know, you see him. You see him at the Big Sky kickoff. Your AD sees him. You talk. 
A few years ago, they decided we're going to go for this. This is a quote. We're going to go for this. I don't care if we go in debt. You know, um, they wanted to win. They figured the, that winning and the attention to the university um, for everything, for enrollment, for advertisement, for name out there, uh, is going to pay off in the future. And now they're there. They're doing well. Um, and, you know, that's what they did. That's where they threw their chips. So it, it was just a decision by the brass, honestly, that um, gave Troy and the crew down there the shot, and they're running with it. The uh, the, the season finale is coming up for you guys, and you're going to get a chance here to get your fifth win of the year. And I think, you know, given where you start at the beginning of the year, it, it's fine. But how do you get your guys – motivated you're, you're playing at cal poly where you guys play like you know this is a win for you guys cal poly's one and nine this is a game you should win yes it is i've told my crew that you know um but it's college football saturday you be, we better go down there we better you know get turnovers stay ahead of the chains uh, not make mistakes don't give away free yards everything worry about us you know and you always remember what you do in november as a football team and um, it's curious, you know, where are your kids? You know, thank God I've got leaders on this team because I've seen guys, I've seen it on film already, John. I got a call from, I'm not going to say any teams or names, I got a call from somebody that was watching a team this past Saturday, um, that I, and they said, Barney, uh, they quit, and they've quit. Hmm. You know, the players aren't playing. That's, that's what you never want to see, fan, coach, school, anything. Um, but uh, my team's not there. They're working hard. Yeah, they're frustrated um, that we're not going to the playoffs, but uh, that we have a chance to be uh, four and four in conference, possibly finish sixth. You know, we were picked to finish 11 or 12. You know, so there, there's some wins there. So how, how are you looking at it? It's all in the presentation, glass half full. University uh, president, I know you got a new AD, but your president at Portland State, come to your games out there, supporting, yeah, cheering? I, I don't know who comes. You know, I know he's been to some. John, I know he's been in the tents. I know the foundation is out there in tents. I know, shoot, I had uh, Cobinza and admissions bought three tents, you know, mm -hmm. to a game. I, I know the tent guy, Jin's the you know the guy who organizes centaurs uh, for photo ops. Centaurs. He does the tents, and he kind of says, "Hey, you know, you got these guys coming this week." And you know, so I hear some of it, but I, I don't. I'm not sure if he's there or not. I know he was last year. Um, I, I don't get that roster after the game. I always uh, move on. We should. Year. We should be. Uh, we should have somebody on our staff out there looking to see if uh, the who president's out in? there. Who's buying in? Who's supporting right. these guys? You know, like uh, I, your AD is out there. Like, you know, good. It's a good first start. You know, you're out there. The players are out there. <laughs> Students are expected to come support your team. The university president should be out there every week. Right, right. Part of the job. That's what the, mo that's what the money's for, as Don Draper says on, on Mad Men. So um, let's talk about the opponent. What do you see on film when you see Cal Poly? Uh, number 10, defense. Uh, quarterback, you're trying to decide who. They were an option team. It's tough admissions-wise, John. It's an engineering yeah. school. There's one yeah. degree. You know this. You're from that area. Yeah. There's one degree to 
that's not engineering is from what I understand. I've never worked there, but I know guys that have. I've got a guy in my staff that has. Uh, John Madden is an alumni. Everybody yeah. knows that name, I think. football. They had a plane incident. Yeah, uh, but he put some uh, family puts some money into it. They have a new field. They're building a Madden facility. Da 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 da. da. Uh, so, and Bo's a good coach. Bo was with was at Cal. Um, is that Bo Baldwin there now? Yeah, Bo Baldwin's there. He's yeah. the head coach, second year. Um, so, I know Bo's a good coach. I know he's got a different puzzle than he had at Eastern Washington when he won a Natty, but. Um, he'll put it together. He hasn't yet. He's playing a lot of young people. I see a lot of freshmen, true freshmen, not like, you know, freshmen you sat for a year, um, redshirt freshmen, true freshmen on the field. So uh, I think he's looking to the future, uh, taking his lumps. Uh, but uh, and we're down there anytime you're in a away game. Uh, I think you're down seven before you get there. Have you seen the TV show Alone? No. Okay, Anna and I start watching the show. We're in episode two, so I'm not an expert, but they take ten people. They give you ten items, like an axe. You know, you can take a tarp. You can take a canteen that's empty. You can you get all ten, and, or you can only take one. You can take ten, all ten. Oh, okay. And you go out into the wild. They put you on Vancouver Island. Was right? that the one where they're naked? No. <laughs> I saw one. Na- it's not naked and afraid. It's not naked and afraid, but it's very low budget because there's no camera crew. They have the guys filming themselves. And basically, it's whichever of the ten contestants can stay out there the longest wins a half a million dollars. They're all on Vancouver, B.C. Island. Yep. And it's uh, they never see each other. You're alone. But there's bears, cougars, wolves. Mainly, you have to worry about hydration, you know, shelter. Two of the guys tapped out within 24 hours, okay? That's how they got scared of the bears, and they decided to go home. Right. Uh, do you feel like you're on that show at Portland State? Well, that's a good... Uh, you got ten items. At me. You know what well, I mean? First off, is is the camera an 11th item, or is that... No, they of... give you, like, a GoPro, a nature camera. That's your thing, because the so bears are going to... carry the yeah. stick around. Yep. And keep that. How the hell they charge? You got a. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't even know. I generator because you can cheat with the generator. Well, you got to think of all items here. You probably got to be a solar solar issue. Probably a solar thing, or they give them multiple batteries. I don't know, but it's, it's like cold and wet. One only one guy could get a fire started the first night. It's right. You know. They should have chosen matches. Uh, well. Yes and no. I think everybody feels like that at some point. It's just some guys get more items, don't they? Or some people yeah. get more items with your job. You know? Yeah, it's true. You work at uh, Oregon, you, unlimited items. You know, you work at Portland State, you, uh, they might say, you know what, Barney, here, you get eight. <laughs> you get eight, and that's counting the GoPro stick. All right, so what would you take if you were really in the wild? Because you're kind of an outdoorsman. What are your like, choices? What okay, are your choices? so it's stuff like this. I'll just throw like a you hand have to axe. Gather water, number one. How do you hand gather axe, water? canteen, tarp? Um, you could take. Uh, you don't get to take matches, but you could take like that little flint stick that helps you start hard, a fire. Man. Yeah, it's really. It's not as easy as it sounds, especially if the wood's wet. Uh, and uh, you could get like a fishing line, fishing filament. You're a fisherman. I think you would take that. You could take a pot. You could take a sleeping bag. What do you take? What's your first item? What appeals to Bruce Barnum? 
Water first. You got to have the tarp and, the, and some to gather. So tarp canteen. You know, okay. you know, poke a hole, gather the rain. You have to mm. build the rain. That that'll beat half the people. I'm guessing. What are there? Ten yes. of us. Yeah. You're down to five if you just can drink. <laughs> you know, eat. You get there with the other two. The then those last two or three. That's straight mental. You know, uh, mental and how you're going to stay warm. But you got pine bows. You got you can build your. Oh yeah, you could take a bow. You could take a long bow, too. Like, do you, does that appeal to you, or do you do the fishing line? Uh, am I inland? You say you have to stay in your right area. Am I no, you're, water? you're not. You're on the edge of the water in the forest, so oh, you so have you, water. So you can fish. Yeah. Or you can harvest from the ocean, I should say. Yeah, harvest. That's a good, word, a good way to put it. Um, not, not on the fishing line, I can make that out of something else. I'm not worried about that. You can, you can do things with the tarp, the net aspect and all mm -hmm. that. Fish line is probably one of my last. You know, I'm looking yeah. for, um, uh, again, without seeing the items, yeah. it's hard. I'm going to send but, you, I'll, I'll text you a link to the uh, to the items that you can take. I'd be curious what you would grab. Do you think you, you could win this thing or, like, the mental part? Like, to me, I don't like being cold. So I think I'd last about three days. The bears don't scare me. Cougars, bears, they don't scare me. They'd be more afraid of you than you would They'll be that. afraid of you, yeah. You, yeah. Like, a couple of the guys were like, they're terrified of the bears. And I'm like, the bear, it, it's curious about you, but it's it's afraid of you. It, unless right. it's been a, you know, it doesn't, it's, it, the bear's just there to get fish, you Those know. Those people haven't seen the great outdoors. No. You know, haven't. they need to know that bear. They're scared of you. Could you last in that competition? Or would you go, no, Mentally, I, I think I could, you know. Yeah. Mentally, I, I think I'd, I'd have a, I'd at least be in the top three. You know, there's some guys, guys, gals, soft. people that, Just you soft. know, well, you know, some of them get into that stuff. I don't know anything about the, the yoga yeah. and the mm -hmm. stuff that they work their mind. I, I would just be straight and trying to be tough. But, you know, if you can drink and um, eat, and I'd be ahead of them on that. I've got yep. a few extra LBs, so I don't, you know, <laughs> that would give me probably the number two. There I might you go. come out 180 or 165, but do it as a fundraiser for your football program. Yeah, and, uh, you know it, it'd be interesting. I mean, that's not so. How much do you win? What do you win? Half a million dollars. Half a million, so 500 G's. But how long are you going to be out there for? That's the thing. Like, if I have to be out there for like three years, then oh, no, it's not worth it. Good. Not worth it. You yeah. can just apply for a job. There you go. Up All in right. Vancouver. Hey, go no, get the... But no, but the, the thing that came out, you asked about series, is yeah. Jellystone came out, like series 20, the thing with Costner's. Yeah. Oh, that's, I haven't watched it yet. I've heard the first one came out. My, one of my kids told me the first one was kind of drab and too much drama, but oh, I, I, like I watched that series. I like it a lot. Yeah, I like it. I that. think you could be on that series. You're a character like that. Yeah, you know, I see myself there more than the Naked Alone deal. I, I, I agree, 100%. Naked Alone, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure about that one. But Jellystone, I can, I, I know how to ride a horse. You know, I can throw a hay bale and yeah. shoot a rifle if I have to, you know. I could. Well, go beat these uh, the Cal Poly ponies. Go right, beat them. Right. Get win we'll number get five. Yep, we'll do it. All right. We'll do it. Coach, Thanks. We'll, we'll talk to you always. Uh, Portland State at Cal Poly on Saturday. Um, there you heard it. That's why we bring Bruce Barnum on the show. Leave it here. Hi, this is John Canzano. I have a question for you. Are you a business owner? Do you like free government money? If so, listen up. 
The federal government has promised more than $135 billion in tax refunds for small and medium-sized businesses that kept employees on payroll through COVID. Business owners are eligible for the employee retention credit even if they received PPP funds. RefundsPro.com specializes in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program to make it quick and easy. RefundsPro does all the heavy lifting and most of their refunds are more than $100,000. Couldn't you use that money right about now? There's no downside to apply and absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. RefundsPro.com has helped hundreds of businesses qualify. And the best part? You don't have to pay a penny back to the government. This is as close as it gets to free government money. There's a deadline, so visit RefundsPro.com to get started before it's too late. Once again, that's RefundsPro.com. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up top of the hour. We're going to play some punching audio here. Best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, Joel Klatt has long been an advocate for the Pac-12 conference, but here he is on the Joel Klatt show saying, you know what, there's just not an elite team in the Pac-12. Punch it. They just don't have an elite program in the conference. I know that that sounds bad, but, but they don't. And I'm talking about a, a program that recruits at a level and plays at a level that is so high that they're able to withstand a tough conference schedule and still be elite. You see, in the Pac-12, that's not the case. There's nobody like that yet. No, will USC get there? Who knows? Because they only got one more year left, so probably not. But the middle of that conference is too close to the top of the conference. You see, in the other conferences around the country, in particular in the SEC and in the Big Ten, and I think this could probably be said uh, in the ACC, obviously, with, with Clemson and maybe even this year with TCU. But the best team in those conferences, and in many cases the best two or three teams in those conferences, are much better than the middle of the conference. Okay, Because their teams are elite, like some of the best in college football. When, when you don't have that separation and you couple that with playing a nine-game conference schedule you're going to cannibalize yourself. I think he's in the right neighborhood, but I think he's knocking on the wrong door. I think that the nine-game conference schedule adds a degree of difficulty to the conference that is unnecessary. It's just one more chance for everybody to lose one more game. Take away everybody's worst game. Take away Washington's loss to Arizona State. Take away Oregon's loss to Washington. Take away Oregon State's loss to Utah. You take away one conference game, and I'm not saying that it would work out that way in every year, but you take away one opportunity to lose games, and you're going to elevate the entire top of the conference because that's just one more time that they don't have to be on. And so I think going from 9 to 8 is part of the problem. I don't necessarily agree with his logic that, you know, 
it's about the middle of the conference because I don't think it's the middle of the conference. I think what you have is you have a conference that is in transition, has been for a couple years, did not seemingly have an elite team, had a lot of turnover with the top coaches of the top programs in the conference like Chris Peterson, Chip Kelly, Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal, taken off. And I think part of the problem that the Pac-12 has had is that it didn't pay its top coaches as much as some other programs did relative to the rest of the country. The highest paid coaches in the Pac-12 conference prior to Chip Kelly coming in, they were like the number 20 highest paid coach in America. And I think when you lose coaches at your top programs, you start to see the uh, effect, the trickle-down effect of that is that what happens? Like, the, How do you recruit when, you're, when you've got turnover at Washington? How do you recruit after in the wake of Chip Kelly's departure at Oregon? How do you recruit? You know, and you know, I think I think it's in the process of being fixed. I think it's going to get interrupted here after one more season when USC and maybe UCLA leave the conference. It's going to get another interruption. But it looks to me like USC's got their coach in Lincoln Riley that they should be pretty good. Are they going to be really good in the Big Ten? I don't know. I've got some reasonable doubt. I think they might get kicked around a little bit. Ohio State's going to beat them. Michigan might beat them. Penn State might beat them. Might be really hard for USC in the Big Ten. To Joel Klatt's point, though, it's not the middle of the conference. It's this logjam at the top right now. It's Utah. It's Oregon. It's USC and UCLA right now at the top of the conference. Paul Feinbaum talking about USC. Now, keep in mind, Feinbaum is a big-time SEC honk. Punch. They have a path, but they need some help. Let's start with TCU. They need to lose. Uh, and can they lose? Yeah. Uh, they have Baylor this weekend. They'll have a Big 12 championship game. And then you have another factor. You have the Michigan-Ohio State game, which we've been talking about for many, many weeks. And if Michigan loses that game, I think they're in trouble because <laughs> they, they made some decisions a couple of years ago to help Jim Harbaugh out. They got rid of, I think, Virginia Tech and UCLA from their schedule, and they ended up playing a bunch of dogs, and that could cost them. Uh, there's still Tennessee to consider, but the one thing that USC will have if all of this shakes out is they'll have a conference championship, which could trump Tennessee, which will, which will not. I think if USC's 12-1, and USC is going to get into the playoff. I, I disagree with Feinbaum. That said, I don't think USC is going to be 12-1. and I think they could lose to UCLA this week, and I think that they may lose in Las Vegas if they get there as the conference championship representative. I don't think USC is good enough to get through this. But if they do, they're 12-1. and How do you keep them out? Adley Rutschman came in runner-up for the American League Rookie of the Year. Stephen Kwan, his former Oregon State teammate, was third in the American League voting. Here's Rutschman talking about his love for Corvallis on the MLB Network. Punch it. It's really special. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like too long ago we were playing on the same team, competing for a national championship. And, you know, a couple a couple years later now, we're uh, in, in the same boat, uh, both rookies this year and uh, both finalists for Rookie of the Year. Um, it just all comes full circle, and uh, you just go back to the memories that you had together and uh, the ones to come, and it's just it's, it's a really special thing to be a part of. And uh, the community in Corvallis is uh, very tight, and um, they're super supportive of Oregon State and their athletics, and uh, I know that they appreciate this as well, so it's uh, just cool to be a part of. 
Yeah, Adley Rutschman was at the Oregon State-Cal game, the football game, on Saturday in Corvallis. You can tell that he's got a connection to what's going on at Oregon State. Nice to see he and Stephen Kwan, second and third in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. Hope those guys have a long, illustrious career. Uh, I know Mitch Canham, the baseball coach now at Oregon State. He's got it going. He's recruiting. They matter. They always seem to matter. Pat Casey built a a, uh, program that is to be reckoned with. By the way, on tomorrow's show, Mike Parker, voice of the Beavers, will be joining us, along with Kyle Whittingham and Jonathan Smith. So we've got uh, Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach, plus Mike Parker, who's fired up about the Pac-12 getting disrespected nationally. Peter Sampson and the Pulse is coming up top of the hour right here on 750 The Game. Peter, what are you going to talk about? Uh, you got those trumpets ready for me? <laughs> I'm talking trailblazers. I do want to break down that defense a little bit. I, uh, As much of an optimist as I am, there's a little bit of reason to think that a regression's coming. I want to kick that around a little bit. And, of course, college football playoff rankings coming out here uh, just after your show ends, so we'll break that down as well. What place are the Blazers in right now? Uh, the Blazers are in first place. <laughs> There it is, baby. You have to. Do you call them trumpets or horns? I call them horns. I, I call them the trumpets. Hmm. I mean, both work. Trumpets are horns. I call them the blazers horns. Stephen, is it a horn or is it a trumpet? I think I call them the trumpets. Hmm. I don't know, though. Disagree with you guys. <laughs> Big time. I don't think there's a right answer, is there? I guess there I can actually it. is. Uh, I can't remember. This is really going to piss me off. But I, uh, I know where those horns are from. Like I, you know the song? Yes. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's yeah. uh, it's an older like it's it's from a random source you would never yep. expect to never expect it. And they were uh, we we tracked this down years ago and we did a big thing on it and we found out where got they it. were from. You got it? Where are they from? A 1976 recording issued by KPM entitled Hot Wax. The name of the song is Capital City. Okay, that's right. Okay, Capital City. Okay, we'll play that song coming up. Hot Wax, Capital City. That's uh, We'll play it and see if you can pick out the uh, the horns in that song. But Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up top of the hour. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the song is called Ta- Capital City. I've done some research on this uh, character who put this song out. Uh, Brian Bennett, who is a English drummer, pianist, composer, producer of music. Uh, he was uh, in the rock and roll group The Shadows. Um, is uh, he was the drummer? He is the uh, composer of this song from Ca- It's called Capital City. This is uh, this is the song the Blazers' horns come from. vibe to it. It's kind of like the Blazers season right now. What do you guys think of that? I dig it, man. And you said uh, Brian Bennett used to be in The Shadows? Yeah, he was the drummer. That's a legendary band. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's why you come to this show. In fact, 
Brian Bennett's still alive. He's 82. Wow. He's living in uh, North London. I think we're going to get him on the show. That would be incredible. Get him on the show and answer the burning question. Is this a horn or a trumpet? And did he imagine that this song would be associated with an NBA basketball team? How about that? Finished school at the age of 16. By the way, uh, if you research this song, you will find out you'll find out that there's such a thing as a listenability and a danceability percentage that they put on things. It's not a very danceable song. Nah, no, nah, it's too up and down. This is like the this radio show. This is kind of like the four o'clock hour of the show right now. <laughs> a little bit of building, building towards the happy hour. There's Steven's role right there. Go, Steven. <laughs> you know what? I like the song. It's a little, it's catchy. I like the back end of that song. You know. Don't you think that song, don't you think it kind of dies down in the middle there? The whole, uh, you know, it's it, it feels to me like it's a little bit Peter and the Wolf there. Yeah, it, the it, it doesn't fully drag it down, but it's almost like it doesn't fit. And sometimes that really works. But yeah, I'm, I'm good to go ahead and cut out about the middle of 45 seconds there. Yep, I'm, I'm right there. I am getting in touch with this guy, Brian Bennett. Uh, he's still working. He's 82 years old, this guy. You know, he's working on that's songs. In, that's incredible. If you don't know The Shadows, man, a, a unbelievable early rock and roll band. And when surf music first became a thing in the early 60s, they were right there. They're they're big. T- he's a drummer, man. He's a drummer. And so he uh, he ended up composing that tune. And then the Blazers stole it, ripped it off for their broadcast <laughs> like everything else. They so. ripped city. <laughs> <laughs> they ripped city it off. And so there you have it. Uh, for those of you who want to uh, catch Peter Sampson in the Pulse, I want you to leave it here. Stephen, tell them where they can find your podcast. Yeah, you can uh, find my podcast. It's a Believe in Blazers podcast, the Believe Podcast Network, B-L-E-A-V. Uh, just... What did you do on there recently? Because you did something like in the last 24 hours. I saw it on Twitter. What were you talking about? Yeah, so we uh, put out a new episode, and on that I did I did claim that I think the Blazers' expectations have changed a little bit. We talked about that. But then we also did a uh, new fun game where we pretended the Blazers were either the Lakers or, you know, one of those really popular teams. Yes. And then on ESPN, we talked about the Blazers as if they were the Lakers, and, you know, we hyped all the players up, hyped all the coaching <laughs> staff and the GM. So uh, it was pretty fun. Like, give us an idea if the Los Angeles Blazers. Yes, the Los Angeles Blazers. Yes, were, so, a th- were a thing. I, Joe, Joe Cronin would be, like, sitting by Jack Nicholson courtside. Yeah, and the talk would be, well, should the Blazers trade Shaden Sharp for Kevin Durant? Well, only if the Nets throw in, like, four first-round picks also. <laughs> like, there's no point because he's, he's, the, he's got the athleticism of Jordan, the dog of Kobe, you know, Vince Carter-like dunks. You don't trade a guy like that. You're onto something there because there's some, like, look, players, NBA players will talk about their brand. And, uh, you know, aside from the guys that are on the max contract, the the marginal player in Portland who could be in L.A. doing the same thing, are there more opportunities, endorsements, visibility, uh, profile, brand available to those guys in a market like L.A.? Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Shane Sharp was in L.A. right now, he would be the talk of the NBA. be really difficult 
to compete with that if you're a small market team. So you're kind of like you're 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 having some fun with it. You're you're you know making a parody of the fact that it's the Los Angeles Blazers. But if it were the Los Angeles Blazers, this team would be far more. This franchise would be far more positioned to matter. Yeah, I in mean, the it's, NBA. it's all the national people would be talking about would be the Blazers. <sighs> See. So why you come to the show, the end of the show in particular. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up. I appreciate you being here for the show. We're back tomorrow. Kyle Whittingham among the guests, Utah football coach. I want you here for it. The bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time.